This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. Welcome to the 17th episode of the Mad, Bad and Damage Strange Showcase, where I invite bloggers, filmmakers and fellow film junkies to help me work through the 1001 film introduction to cult and obscure cinema, which is the Mad, Bad and Damage Strange list. Tonight we have a pair of modern cult classics, which both serve as oddities on the respective director's resumes, as tonight we'll be discussing the Coen Brothers' 1998 crime comedy The Big Lebowski, as well as John Carpenter's 1986 Kung Fu Cinema Homage, Big Trouble in Little China. My guest joining me in the studio this evening is not only one third of the SimplicityReviews.net blog um, and podcast, but also a regular contributor to the Lamcast. It, of course, gives me great pleasure to welcome to the show DJ Valentine. It's like I tell my old co-host on the Simplicity Reviews podcast. I says, fellas, I don't podcast farther than I can see. Besides that, it's all in the reflexes. <laughs> How are you guys doing? <laughs> I mean, I... Just obviously saying to you about that, I'm not sure if I should like give you an air horn entrance or play some, like techno music or something. I want to come in like the uh, the Miami Heat. I want to come in like <laughs> I want a guy shooting t- uh, t-shirt guns. I want a mascot with an air horn. I want all that stuff. No, I'm good. Thank you. I'm I'm a modest man. Cool. Um, well, thank you very much for coming on this evening and uh, picking out the two films that you've chosen for us this evening. It's um, my pleasure. Before we obviously get into uh, the two films, I just want to obviously talk a bit more about the site and, and your film taste, if that's okay. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. certainly. Uh, um, simplistic reviews, how would I say this? If regular podcasts are like the news, we're like the Daily Show. <laughs> <laughs> we're not entirely as serious as, you know, we're not breaking down the, the auteur theory or, you know, uh, Fellini or anything like that. We're just a couple guys having fun, poking fun at stuff. And because we all share a brain, it's easy to do that. And we uh, we have some guests on sometimes. Sometimes we just sh- uh, shoot from the hip. We talk movies. We talk television. We talk Justin Bieber. Sometimes we talk Tom Brady's deflated footballs. We do all that stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> if you've not heard, for my listeners who haven't obviously heard the show, as we were discussing before when we before we came on to record this evening, your show has probably one of the highest production values of any <laughs> podcast I know. Seven billion dollars has goes into every episode. That's our budget, folks. Seven billion dollars. Could we be curing cancer? No. We're making a podcast where we talk about films. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's absolutely mind blowing for someone who'd like obviously having the experience of the of trying to edit these shows together. <laughs> Just like trying to add a bit of music, but you've got music, you've got sound effects, you've got all sorts of like crazy stuff going on. You've got your women. computer doing whatever and stuff. Yeah, yeah. She's she she's a handful. She keeps us on our toes. We we actually have a computer lady who uh, does the. Uh, she's like the announcer. We have uh, a wheel of fortune wheel I stole from Bob Barker's house. We have a whole bunch of stuff going on there. Again, we're completely irresponsible with it. Uh, but if it gets anybody to laugh, I, we're happy. <laughs> I mean, how did the site first come together? 
Um, me and uh, I've known uh, it's me, and Matthew, and Justin Polizzi. Justin Polizzi and I we went to school, uh, film school together, and that's kind of how we met. We met because we were late for uh, class uh, together at the same time, and uh, he says, "Hey, uh, you want to come back?" And we, I got this Glenn Gary Glenn Ross DVD. That's his test to see if you know I'm, I, I have, we have the same taste. And I'm like Glenn Glary and Ross, let's do it. And then <laughs> since then we, we we did every class together. We share a brain. And Matthew, I grew up. Uh, God, man, I think I've known Matthew for like 12 years, maybe longer than that. God knows. Uh, uh, yeah. So after we me and Justin graduated, Justin was like, "Hey, man, we should just do a, a blog where we review movies with just at least one word." And I go, "Hey, I know this guy named Matt. I've, he he's." good on simplifying things and uh, he's like yeah let's throw them in there and then they had a conversation for about five seconds and they realized that they had the same brain and then time went on and we were just doing these weird reviews and matt goes let's do a podcast where we just make fun of other podcasts not in making fun of them personally but just doing the complete opposite you know just having fun make it like a tv like a talk show kind of conan o'brien daily show type of fake faux podcast and uh, that's kind of how we started got started and uh we're been <laughs> Uh, we were like talking about 2001: A Space Odyssey, and uh, we kind of based one of our characters on the show, kind of on one of the characters in that movie. I won't go into it farther than that. <laughs> and it's interesting, obviously, because the site, in one aspect, is a mainstream cinema site, mm-hmm. and at the same time, you still find time to talk about a lot of cult cinema, a lot of more sort of obscure sort of the 80s sort of uh, cinema as well. So. It's, it's interesting the fact that you don't limit yourself, even though you could be considered a mainstream cinema blog, the fact you don't limit yourself just to one sort of genre. I mean, was there any sort of emphasis on sticking to any sort of one genre or style I, I, cinema? I think because I'm old as dirt and I've seen a lot of stuff in Polizzi, uh, he's not old, but he he's weird, so he's seen a lot more stuff than me. <laughs> and a lot of, fr- he's really big into the grindhouse stuff and he's seen a lot of stuff. Because we've seen so much stuff, and Matt has also seen. He's a horror aficionado, and he's seen so many. We've because we've seen so much stuff. We didn't want to really say, "Let's just do blockbusters," or "Let's just do you know horror stuff." We know. I'm not saying we're experts, but because we've seen so much stuff, we say, "Well, let's not just limit ourselves to doing anything." I watch as much television as anybody can. stuff down in their brain and films and stuff. So let's just talk about everything, and that's not just limited to movies because. I, I figured that when we have these conver- we used to have conversations on the phone about stuff and for like hours. And I was like, man, it'd be great if we could just, you know, because we're having fun. If this, you know, if somebody gets enjoyment out of listening to our conversations, we can just record it. Because essentially, if you ever watch, listen to our show, it's essentially just us having regular conversations that we would have anyway. <laughs> and we just record it and then there's a robot talking. Yeah. So that's, a, that's about it. the only difference. I mean, obviously, your site is also one of the few podcast which also broadcasts on youtube as well um obviously i have to ask do you think there is still a place for sort of the traditional blogger even especially in these days where the video blogger seems to be taking more of a precedence over how blogging is uh, now presented uh yeah i mean i i i i think we're coming out of the aspect let's hit everything let's do if you want to put this let's put the show on youtube let's do stitcher let's do everything because we want to reach it out to as many people as possible if you're gonna just like you were saying before we don't want to limit and i i know video blogging is kind of like the new not the new thing but it's more of the thing people like to do doing the production that we do for our show it it takes 
patience. It doesn't. I mean, it does take a little bit of talent, but it takes more patience than anything. Video blogging is easy. You get Periscope, you your video blog, you're done. So it <laughs> <laughs> doesn't really require bells and whistles. But we kind of we're we're time we're coming at it through the aspect of we want to touch everything and we want to make every episode of our show almost rewatchable or re-listenable, you know, because we yeah. want to put all bunch of stuff in there. Because if you're just talking about a single movie, once you've heard that conversation about the movie, then you're done. But if it's a, a funny game or, you know, stuff like that, we want to do everything. And video blogging, uh, I'm for it. If it was up to me and I didn't look like, you know, the elephant man, I'd be video blogging all the time. But uh, because I'm not, uh, I don't really have the time. I think I have more time sitting down, putting sound together and doing it on iTunes. But I, I do a lot of the – me and Justin do a lot of the Photoshop stuff for YouTube. So we're like, hey, let's throw it on YouTube. We can, we can hit more people that way. So Yeah. Cool. And you mentioned already that the sort of introductory, the test movie, if you will, yes. uh, was Glenn Gary Ross. I mean, do you personally have like a movie that you use as your test movie? I don't know if like – Die Hard. If you, have, if you have any problems with Die Hard, we're done professionally. No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Die Hard has got – I mean – if you've listened to any of our shows, there's probably not a. Sh- you can probably go maybe two shows without us making a Die Hard reference, uh, because Matt and I can essentially do that movie like a play. We know every line from that movie, and every you know Matt looks like Ellis from Die Hard anyway. So uh, <laughs> uh, if it's not Die Hard, it's probably um, oh god, we all all three of us. We love we love uh, big, like movies like the Coens, the Big Lebowski, stuff like that. Any if I te- if, if, if matters who I'm talking to, if it's like a lady and I'm like, hey, let me, let me th- I'm not going to throw Star Wars at her because she, she sci-fi is an acquired taste. Mm. If I throw Shawshank at her and she's you know okay, then yeah, maybe I can get her Glenn Glary. If you if you know Glenn Glary and Ross and you love Pacino and like old Pacino. Old school Pacino. Um, then those are those are kind of the realm, you know. We like David Mamet, we like the Coens, stuff like that. But I mean, again, because we've seen so many stuff, we'll throw out Silent Night, Deadly Night. <laughs> Have you Not seen Silent? That. Yeah, I mean the Garbage Day movie, Christmas Story. You know, we'll, we'll throw out as fringy stuff as possible. But Flash Gordon is another one, you know. We'll throw some of the Sexy Beasts. We've been, we've go, we got a lot of, we got a lot of feelers we put out there. Let's see if you're. You can vibe with us, but we're chameleons. We can we can talk about anything. We can talk about it. I'll talk about uh, fried green tomatoes if you want. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That movie's making a weird comeback. That and Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion. Yeah, Romeo like, and Michelle. The last week, I've had three people like to want to talk about that movie, and it's like, why do you want to talk about these two obscure movies from like the nineties? I like, love love. I love love. Actually, I mean that's in that's kind of like the, the one of the biggest and. I, Christmas is not my favorite holiday. I'm not into chick flicks. And that's like a combination of the two. And I love that film. I don't, maybe because it's like Richard Curtis, but uh, I don't know. I mean, everybody's tastes are a little weird. But I mean, the, the foundation, I would say, would probably be, <laughs> would probably die hard. <laughs> if you, or, and Predator and Robocop. Those are like movies where we like the stupid, dumb 80s action, Running Man, Commando. If you, if you get your, if you can get your brain around those, then we, we can we can talk. We can have a conversation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, you mentioned Die Hard already. Yes. Um, with Bruce obviously gearing up to do Die Hard Six. Oh, don't say that. Um, <laughs> I mean, is this something you would like to see? I mean, personally, I would like to see him go up to seven, so at least oh. we can have Die Hard Week. Oh, gee. <laughs> Die Hard Week. Yeah. <laughs> that re- would be that would be funny. <laughs> I mean, originally I was holding out for them to do like for them to do thirty movies because I'm like Die Hard Month. 
Or if they were like really ambitious, do 365 and then have die hard year. Die hard, you die year. (laughs) It's a good year to die hard. Um, I think after die hard with a vengeance, Bruce Willis checked out. He might have even checked out before then. Uh, But because I'm not, I I was really down on live free and die hard because I didn't, I, I, I don't want to cut off the, the, can I say balls here? Testicles. Yeah, we're, we're explicitly uh, te- rated so we can go over this. So. Okay, good. I don't want to cut off John McClane's fucking testicles, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and that movie kind of did with a PG-13 rating. And then I was like, yeah, this is, uh, this, it can't get any worse than this. Mm-hmm. But, you know. And then Good Day to Die Hard came out, which Justin called me, uh, my co-host, in the middle, of the, <laughs> the middle of the night coming from the theater. It's like, dude, have, have you seen? Like, he, he was almost calling me like he was taken hostage. Like, dude. Have you, have you seen Good Day to Die Hard? <laughs> I was like, what, what happened? What, what, what's wrong? He's like, dude, d- d- just don't do it. Don't go see it. And it, it, I, I felt like Tom Cruise's son in War of the Worlds. I, I, I have to see it. I got to see what's over the hill. And I watched it, and holy God. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, to get Bruce Willis to care is your major obstacle. To do the Die Hard film is easy. To get him to care is what you got to do because the last movie to get him to care was Looper and I thought he which uh, I'm on the minority here where I think he did a really good performance in that uh but it's still bipolar if people of saying that he did care in that and he did for Die Hard he's checked out especially Good Day to Die Hard I mean you could have put a, a a cutout of him <laughs> in that movie and it had been the same <laughs> and the, the, the thing with Bruce Willis at the moment he's become the sort of grumpy old man of action cinema oh, man, um yeah. I mean, he doesn't seem to want... He's been sort of like typecast now as being this action hero. And he yeah. kind of doesn't want to do it anymore. I feel that he's going to like revert and go back to being Bruno again. You think uh, we'll do some Seagram's Golden Wine Coolest commercials? Yeah. Got the hat on, Hudson Hawk style? I, I, he's he's going to release a sequel to uh, Under the Boardwalk. <laughs> I was thinking Blind Date with John Larroquette and Kim Basinger. Just, just go old school Bruce. <laughs> just, you know, moonlighting Bruce Willis. I don't know. He the man has more money than 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 God right now. So he he to make him do anything it would be hard. To make him care, you really have to have good material. Because actors will check out, man. When they get rich enough, uh, in directors and producers, when they get rich enough, they they'll stop giving a crap. And I think Bruce has hit that limit where, you know, he'll just do a movie on direct to DVD just to get a boat. It doesn't it's, it's not really like he doesn't give and me being, you know, the podcaster from Florida telling Bruce Willis to give a shit. It's, it's not even like who cares. But it just, just the way he has these performances, I miss the Bruce that cared, man. I miss that Bruce. I miss uh, come out to the coast, we'll get together, have a few less. I miss that one. And I, I yeah. If Die Hard 6, God, God, help me. <laughs> if, if, it's, if that's actually happening, oh man, please get somebody. I almost, I almost wish they'd do a reboot just to, uh, just to, Get somebody to care. I just wanted to. <laughs> I, I have to underline that point because, man, it was. Good Day, Dead, Hard it killed a little part of me inside. <laughs> it was so bad. It's, it's, he's just running out to people to uh, to kill. I mean, this is the, <laughs> this is the thing. <laughs> Jai Courtney is not going to take the mantle. I mean, we thought it was sad when Shia LaBeouf was taking the mantle from Harrison Ford in Indiana Jones. There is a sadder one: Jai Courtney taking the mantle from Bruce Willis in Die Hard. What uh, is? If you want to have a sad off, <laughs> that is a sad off. <laughs> I mean, the I mean, Indiana Jones four. I'm one of these rare people. I I mean, there was so much in that movie. I was like forgiving it because I'm like a diehard indie fan. I was like. 
for giving like the monkey, the snake, the oh. horrible CGI, and then the bloody UFO at the end. I was like, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> See, we had a conversation about this uh, on our show off air, though. We were just chatting about uh, Indy Four, and we said Indy belongs with the Nazis. When you take Indy out of the Nazis, it doesn't feel like Indy anymore. You might as well just do do a different adventure, do an Uncharted movie, mm. because Indy does not vibe with aliens. I mean, what are we talking about? Here? I would I would rather smash. see I would rather see Indiana Jones, which this could happen by the way, seeing that they're all owned by the same house, have a crossover with Captain America than with freaking aliens. <laughs> They're both operating at the exact same time during World War II. I can see Indiana Jones and Captain America together. I can't see Indiana Jones with E.T. I, I, I don't want to see uh, I, I don't want to see that. And you're right. When that stupid flying saucer flew up from the pyramid, I was like, oh, why? <laughs> don't, yes. don't, I, don't. I want to know, though, why do you think it is that Hollywood isn't making these sort of adventure movies? Why are they not trying to create, like, an uncharted style character, as you said already. Um, mm-hmm. Another Indiana Jones. Rather than trying to do like an Indy Five or whatever, why don't they just do another series of like just adventure sort of films? The same way they don't seem to be doing like Star Wars style films yeah. anymore. Like you said in like the eighties, you had like the Roger Corman's like Battle Beyond the Stars, and you had those sort of like sci-fi sort of adventure movies. Why do they never seem to be like making these sorts of movies anymore? I'm going to probably say something that's the most uh, easy stance ever is that Hollywood does not like taking risks. I mean, let me preface that. I mean, Marvel took a risk with Guardians, but it was an established property. And you're, you're going to get event. You're going to get Jurassic World, but it's going to be on established stuff. For them to come out with new adventure, with, with even Uncharted is an established property. So even doing that wouldn't even be taking a risk. For you to come up with a new character, with a new adventure, with, you know, that is. You, you're just not going to get the budget anymore. They want the money in hand. They want it in hand. They don't want. They do not. They, and they want to set up a franchise. Avengers uh, made it made, made it possible where every movie must have a franchise now. Not, maybe not Avengers set it up, but at least uh, reminded Hollywood. Oh no no no! We better be making it a combined universe, and we better have a spinoff potential with this character. You're not going to have. I mean, you, every once in a while, you'll get a looper or something like that. You're not going to get those originally. You'll get a chronicle. You're not. Everything else is going to be an established property, and it's sad. You're you are correct, and you just got to cross your fingers and hope. I, I I'm I'm racking my brains. You just ask me like, is there an adventure movie coming out that's not based on something else? I don't think so. <laughs> I, I guess Oblivion was a Obli- no. Oblivion was based on a comic book, I think. So I don't even. Yeah, I I, I think that it's all about. Uh, risk versus reward and they're just going for the reward what is it easier is it easier to come up with an established property and take the risk that people like it and get money off of it or is it just let me just do a property that's been established and we'll put it in the same genre as a comic movie that's already popular like an avengers so we'll do a such and such movie we'll do a suicide squad movie because guardians worked it's it's that that's kind of where hollywood's head's at right now it's sad but that's the world we live in sadly I mean, just obviously, just to touch on Guardians briefly, when I saw Guardians, it filled <laughs> me with the same sort of excitement that I had when I first watched Star Wars as a kid. Star Wars, yeah. Yeah, it's... it's it. I mean, Guardians is not my favorite uh, comic book movie last year. I'm huge into... Winter Soldier was my favorite. Um, but Guardians, that was... For an established property, that was the riskiest thing Marvel had done mm-hmm. to me. 
because it, and it was it, the, the space thing was one thing. Chris Pratt was another. Two of the main characters who are essentially the leader for the in, first three fourths of the movie, Rocket and Groot, are one's a raccoon, one doesn't one says one line. That's risky for you know, and you're putting it under the Disney Marvel banner. And I remember at Comic-Con, people forget this now. It was, oh, Guardians, of course it was going to be successful. It was Marvel. No, 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 no. When, when Guardians was announced by Kevin Feige at Comic-Con, this was, I think, that year. This might have been the year where Loki, uh, Tim Hiddleston dressed up like Loki, or the year before that. And they said Guardians of the Galaxy. Man, the, it was like the, yeah, what? It was like nobody knew what the hell yeah. that was. And even I, and I'm a big, I carry a lot of water for Marvel on a lot of these podcasts. Uh, and I, even I was like, I had I knew about Guardians, but I was like, man, you're you're skipping over Black Panther for Guardians of the Galaxy. All right, let's. Uh, I, 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 I they haven't steered me wrong yet, and for them to uh, knock it out of the park the way they did is a testament to get putting people in the right place. I think getting it to James Gunn is what made that successful. If you would have given it to some up and comer, it might not have resonated as much. You got the built-in audience with Gunn, but Gunn brought something to it that Whedon kind of brought to the first Avengers where it's like he has his style in there. If it was just a generic, like a, what I kind of fear for the Ant-Man movie coming out, uh, where it's not a guy, a director that's really well known with a style, it might not have resonated as much as it did. And uh, you're right. Guardians is, whew, the, for, that's the risk is I think you're going to get studio wise for a while. Su- Su- Suicide squads. It's kind of risky, but once you put Will Smith in there, you kind of lose your risk. So that's true. For myself, the biggest risk with the whole of Guardians is the fact that they hired Gunn. I mean, you look oh, at yeah, Gunn's yeah, yeah. filmography. <laughs> he did, he, first of all, he's a trauma graduate, Yeah. Uh, which is big enough warning sign. His early, we look at his first few films. We got Lolly Love about the two yuppies giving lollipops to the homeless. Yeah. He did Sliver, <laughs> which is like Sliver. a throwback 80s splatter movie. Like a and then he did Super. The yeah. most twisted superhero <laughs> movie you got going. Which has a cult following. Super is yeah. like a... I saw that movie... I watched Super so... I think I saw Super the weekend before I saw Guardians. Yeah. I had always heard about it. And I was like, yeah, watch Super, watch Super, watch it. It's great, it's great. And I was just like, yeah... Because I, I, I wasn't really a huge Gun fan. I, I mean, I, 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 I liked Gun, but he wasn't like, you know... I, I follow everything he does. Yeah. And I watched Super and I was like, man, this is... Dark. I mean, it makes Kickass seem like <laughs> like Spider Man. It's so dark. It's like very twisted. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm watching this, and I'm thinking, this is the Batman Marvel trusting with their big property. <laughs> I mean, but they did give they gave Favreau Iron Man, so they do have a precedence of giving. Pro- I mean, they gave the, the the guys from Community Captain America. Yeah. I mean, they do have a precedence of putting making. Weird to say. I mean, and sadly, because they lost Edgar Wright, putting Edgar Wright on Ant Man, I thought was going to be a was going to be great because it's like they they know how to put these eclectic directors and and this is how I have my fingers crossed for Captain Marvel and um a Black Panther. Scott Dietrichson for Doctor Strange is kind of like uh, I'm not, again I have to lean on Matt for that because he's done more horror stuff than anything. But I mean, if, the fact that they're going to go with a horror element it makes me smile because Doctor Strange is dealing with all that weird stuff so yeah they had a presence but yeah you're right nobody really gun didn't have like a he's not coming off a of freaking star trek like jj abrams is coming up no. to the end of star wars he's coming off of fringy b stuff so it's as you said the uh marvel seem to be rolling the dice with a lot of so lesser known actor lesser known directors and let alone actors um mm. and at the moment everything's coming up sort of uh, rosy for them 
it remains to be seen whether they can keep up this pace. I feel that people are now getting a bit of fatigue with the superhero movies now, especially with, especially <laughs> with the DC knee jerk we've oh, seen. Yeah. Uh, where <laughs> they have they a plan, instead... they have a plan. Sure, they have a plan, <laughs> which is to follow everything everybody else does. <laughs> <laughs> Their plan is to reveal everything in one go, not just to do like three or four movies and like tease out the the stages. It's like we're going to do all of this. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're also doing the counter programming where it's like, okay, Marvel's essentially got the the reins on the fun, colorful action movie. We'll do the dark, humorless thing, which <laughs> it works for. And again, everybody, I've, I've gotten a lot of crap for saying, you know, Man of Steel should be that way. And dark and humorless works for certain characters. It works for Punisher. It works for uh, Batman. It works for Daredevil. It doesn't work for Superman for me. For me, I know some people yeah. want, want Superman dark and, you know, and a lot of the members of the Justice League, it's like, you're going to make Flash dark and humorless? It's freaking Flash. <laughs> Hopefully they don't do that. Cyborg, going to make him like, you're going to make it like freaking uh, Ex Machina? I mean, what do we, so yeah, DC, I have my fingers crossed on Suicide Squad because I think that movie is pretty well casted because of Margot Robbie, uh, Margot Robbie and uh, Will Smith. I've got my fingers crossed on Jack Courtney, but uh the, the humorless thing that they, they're just going against they're going to just do their right their ship as let's do the opposite of what marvel's doing while still doing exactly what marvel's doing <laughs> yeah. okay i mean before we obviously move on to tonight's uh featured films mm. i have to obviously ask you looking ahead to the uh, summer season what are you uh still most looking forward to seeing you know what it is. oh god maybe you don't know uh mad max fury road thank looks you like the greatest film ever put to film ever filmed. <laughs> this is, I don't, this is I, my Avengers. Oh, like, everyone was like, oh, the Avengers, the Avengers. It's like, screw that. Man Max is coming out. The oh, first man. Lambcast I did, it was like the Man Max trailer. I saw that and I wept. And I wept. I, These are the only times I've really cried. I cried on my wedding day. I cried mm. when my kids were born. And I cried when I saw that trailer. <laughs> Don't tell your family this. <laughs> You're lumping us in with a movie. <laughs> with I just have to say, as I say to my wife, I love you. I also love Mad Max. And in all fairness, Mad Max was here first. <laughs> uh, again, as your lawyer, your attorney, I have to tell you, do not share this with your family. No, uh, <laughs> I remember, I, I think uh, there was, a, I, I call a bunch of trailers uh, my, my, my crack. And before this year, I think Wolf of Wall Street the trailer was like that was a trailer. I was like, whoa, like it made me want to do so. The Mad, the first Mad Max trailer, and it's, it's funny because a lot of people didn't like that trailer with the, the the classical music. Oh my god, it just looks, it looks insane. I've been saying this on every show I've been on. It looks like a Michael Bay fever dream. Like if Michael Bay had like some kind of acid trip, he would envision. <laughs> he wouldn't know how to do it, but he would envision. That Mad Max trailer and that yeah. Mad, the way it looks, it just looks so good. And I think we did this uh, on our most anticipated movies list. Uh, Mad Max was two for me. Avengers, I think, was five. And I'm a Marvel fanboy. I'm a comic book fanboy. Star Wars is still my number one. But uh, Max was number two because it looks awesome. And it's got Tom Hardy. It's mm. got freaking Charlize Theron. And I'm, I'm a big sucker for strong female characters. And apparently she is a badass in that movie. So I cannot wait for that. Other than that, I, it's like after I watched Avengers, I was like, oh, it was, I was great. I really liked it a lot. But man, <laughs> when that Mad Max movie comes out, <laughs> I might go naked. I might streak into the movie theater. I don't know. <laughs> 
it was I mean when Miller showed the original short one with like the clunking sort of soundtrack um, and he showed it at Comic Con and Robert Rodriguez stood up in the audience and yes. said, how, how the, the hell, hell we, did you do that? I, we talked about it on our show. We said the same thing. It's like when Robert Rodriguez is geeking out about your shit. <laughs> and then we obviously had that trailer and it was like, okay, nothing's going to top this. And then the second trailer came out and it had like the Battle Royale classical music. And it's sort of like yeah. I had to pause it partway through just to take in what was being bombarded it, I, upon I, me. It was, it was like burning. It was burning my retinas, but I couldn't look away. It was just like, oh my god, that shot where the shot that it got me. Other than the guy with the Gibson guitar flamethrower, which is <laughs> fucking. I, I, I'm sorry, it's fucking amazing. Uh, is the shot where I think it's Max. I, I can't tell because there's so much shit happening. It's Max on a ladder or a pole. It's a pole. Swinging as the background just a bursting flame. It's like one of the most beautiful shots I have ever seen. I'm like, oh my god, what is this movie? I don't care. I I want to go to there, as Tina Tina Fey once said. I want to go to there very much, very very much. Yes. Um, and after that, it's I'm watching Ant Man just to watch Ant Man because I'm a Marvel fanboy. But after that, uh, is there really anything? I'm not really excited about Jurassic World. Terminator looks like garbage. Um. I don't know. I think it's it's good. oh Mission Impossible Rogue 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 uh, State Rogue Nation Rogue Squadron Rogue One. I have no idea what the hell it's called. Uh, new Mission Impossible movie that looks awesome uh, because I'm a huge fan of Christopher Christopher McQuarrie wrote and directed my favorite movie of all time, which is The Way of the Gun. That's how fringe I am. Uh, and he did The Usual Suspects. So he and he's doing this. So I'm I really excited about that one, but not as much as Max. Max Max is what I was looking forward to. Yeah. So just a final word on uh, Max, and this is just just really summed up how excited I was when Miller was like talking about it. And he said there was a stage in the production where he went to his stunt people and he said like, oh, do you think we can do all this? And they basically looked at him and said, look, if we don't know how to do it now, we're going to figure out how to do it. <laughs> That's what I want. That's, see, those, that, this is the type, this, this, you're talking about movies, adventure uh, movies, and, and Max is a, based on an original property, but uh, and it, at least it's made by the same freaking guy. Yeah, that, that's what I want in a movie, man. Where guys are just gung ho, not CGIing it. Let's freaking do it for real. We're gonna blow up the desert. We're gonna have a <laughs> guy standing on skulls with screaming. It's a lovely. That movie just that movie deserves money. Paul Blart Two does not deserve money. Vote for that movie. Put your money behind Mad Max. We need more of those things. Things that are visually amazing. That movie, it, I, I barely, I kind of know what it's about, but I don't. It just looks visually stunning, and I, I don't know who the cinematographer is. I think he's an old. I think he might have worked with Miller before. Uh, it, it, it just, it, he, he's got to get nominated for this. I, I'm the, from the trailer. My my sister, who's not a big movie person, and I was watching it on my laptop. And she kind of walked behind me. She's like, "What? What is that? <laughs> <laughs> what is that movie?" I'm like, "It's it's Mad Max Fury Road." She's like. I think I want to see that. And she doesn't want to see anything. Other than Avengers, she doesn't want to see anything. Unless it has something to do with Tyler Perry. So <laughs> for her to be involved in that, it's it, 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 a, a testament to how amazing that movie looks. Cool. Well, from one visual spectacular to another, <laughs> um, it takes us very nicely onto the first of tonight's selections, Big Trouble Little China. Released in 1986 by 
the maestro of horror cinema, John Carpenter. This would be his only foray into kung fu cinema. It stars Kurt Russell as a wisecracking truck driver who's making what should have been a regular drop-off in San Francisco, only to find himself in a whole heap of trouble when his best friend Wang, uh, Wang Chi even, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> fiancé is kidnapped by the 2,000-year-old magician Lo Pan. And Jack Burton, unfortunately, is going to find himself in a whole heap of trouble before this day is out. First thoughts on uh, this one then, uh, DJ. What's your uh, opening thoughts on Big Trouble in Little China? This movie rules because of two words. Kurt fucking Russell. (laughs) 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 Who essentially is doing a John Wayne impersonation throughout the entire film, and it's fucking awesome. (laughs) I mean, my favorite cheesy movie of all time, I've mentioned it earlier, uh, Flash Gordon is my favorite just. Be cheesy. This it knows it's dumb and it has fun with it. But second is probably Big Trouble in Little China for the same reasons. Not not because it's good in a traditional sense, because it's crazy, it's cheesy, it's ridiculous. It, it but it embraces it like Flash Gordon, and it mm. and there are so and sadly a lot of similarities plot wise between the two. <laughs> Have you ever seen Flash Gordon stopping a wedding at the end and the the guy thrown in a weird world that he didn't know was going on? What it, it has probably. One of my favorite clusterfuck beginnings of an adventure film ever. <laughs> First, there's a kidnapping at gunpoint in an airport. That's how dated this movie is. A guy just walks in the airport with a gun. Good luck with that today. Uh, then there's a car chase. Uh, then there are gangs of uh, uh, gangs of New York kung fu gang war in an alley. Then three supernatural entities appear, one of which is Raiden from Mortal Kombat. I shit you not, it's fucking Raiden from Mortal Kombat. Then an Asian Pennywise-like demon monster with deadlights named Lopan, all before we even know what the fuck is going on. (laughs) And yet I loved every moment of it because it's just bat shit insane there's a lady she's a lawyer played by uh what's her name sex in the city chick oh, kim uh control her name is gracie law the lawyer's name is gracie law it's just it's it's freaking awesome and it goes against essentially every trope kind of like flash was kind of doing it goes against a lot of these tropes where the hero of the movie isn't even the main character really it's wang chi who's the main character and kurt russell's the sidekick and he's yeah. And I love the little Bilbo Baggins type of <laughs> where like the battle breaks out and he's knocked out. It's just it's just, it's it's so good. And, and Kurt Russell is essentially he's not only your guide, he's the engine that makes this movie go. And you just accept that the first 45 minutes of the movie, maybe longer than that, is just people yelling, just saying exposition <laughs> the entire time. <laughs> the, the reporter just comes in and she goes, Lopan, you mean the man that da 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 I'm like, who the fuck? And he, and Kurt Russell himself goes, "Who the hell are you?" <laughs> it's a it's it's a great dumb cheesy fun movie. Yeah, I mean, you obviously gave like the the best parts of the uh, opening there, but we open with probably one of the greatest openings in cinema, oh. where we got Jack Burton in his truck and he's giving like his little sermons on his CB radio and like he's a proper manly man. Yes, uh, that only the eighties would like produce. And of course, if you're gonna have a manly man, Kurt Russell's gonna be your guy. And you know, <laughs> you know he's a man because he drives a truck, eats manly sandwiches, and you know <laughs> talks about his ex-wife and carries a. It's like my knife. third ex-wife told me. <laughs> it's like I said, the checks in the mail. Checks in the mail. <laughs> so yeah, he goes. Well, have you paid your dues? I tell you, I say to that big fella, check is in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> and that mullet, man, the Kurt Russell mullet is a thing of. Perfection. <laughs> I mean, 
before we obviously get into the guts of this movie, mm. for myself, there are a few people who can direct Kurt Russell as well as John Carpenter. Yeah. Um, John Car- Kurt Russell really is, for my money, he is Kurt Russell's director. There, yeah. is, there is no one else who can direct him, him the way he does. I mean, maybe, like maybe Tarantino. Before. Maybe Tarantino. That waits to be seen. I mean, we have to wait for The Hateful Eight. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's looking good. I mean, with Death Proof, he, again, it showed that they could work well together. And he, it was so good that he actually replaced Mickey Rourke in that role because when you watch Death Proof, he is Stuntman Mike. I mean, yeah. he's got all that sort of 80s damage. He's got all the back the backlog of 80s movies. So, you know, you, you believe he could be this 80s stuntman. I mean, especially because Kurt Russell, like Harrison Ford, he comes from that old school style of acting where they do their own stunt work because it's not stunt work, it's physical acting. Yeah. So if you want to like be in, do, do like fight scenes or have him throw himself through windows or downstairs, he'll more than happily do it for you because, you know, it's just physical acting. Um, and I have to respect Kurt Russell for that. And it's nice to see him coming back because he sort of disappeared for like the longest time and now he's sort of coming back um, and doing things like Head for Eight. He's like one of the favorite, my favorite things in <laughs> Furious 7. <laughs> for, the, for the five minutes he's in there, I was like, oh, Kurt Russell, yeah. It just makes you feel good seeing Kurt Because he, he, he chews the hell out of scenery but doesn't become overbearing. You know, some people do it and it's just like, oh, God. But he's, it's Kurt Russell, you, you, you just like the guy. He's just yeah. a likable dude. So This movie, it's such a combination of styles. Obviously, at the forefront, we've got what is very obviously a, like a homage to the uh, Shambhala sort of samurai movies, uh, things yeah. like Baby Baby Cut in Peril. Um, I mean, we have the Three Storms, who are essentially just the Lords of Death from uh, Baby Cut the River Sticks. Yeah. They're basically just a, a straight rip-off, I said. They just obviously have Thunder, Lightning, and... <laughs> I and think the other one's Rain, yeah. <laughs> 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 just like the most random, like he doesn't have any sort of like real power for something to rain. He doesn't create water or anything, but but that's he comes out of clouds. I think he comes out of clouds. I think that's his his main thing. But I guess they all come out of clouds. I don't. Their powers are very. <laughs> I mean, other than the Raiden guy, I just call him the Raiden guy because he, he's freaking Raiden. Uh, their powers are very nondescript. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, apart from the fact that they turn up with these like mean ass like um like kung fu weaponry mm-hmm. but they're not like just using it normally like he's got the like back scratch double back scratches and he like holds it up and like spins around really fast <laughs> the bear claw back scratches you get at the drugstore they have them as weapons <laughs> <laughs> the the butter the boomerang machetes and the other guy what the hell did the other guy have he had like these hand thing. it's it's ridiculous <laughs> it's ridiculous <laughs> You have this great scene. Uh, again, this is this is still at the start of the movie. <laughs> we got, don't know what's going on. <laughs> you got Jack and you got Wang Chi, and they're in Jack's truck, and they're in the middle of the alley. And then you have them, as you said, they're in the middle of a gang fight between the Lords of Death, uh, <laughs> the subtly named bad guy ones, and then you got like the supposed good guy gang, and they have this like amazing fight scene, and then they stop, and they're pulling the dead bodies off before they go into it again. <laughs> and there's it, a guy. It's a guy on the bad side. Uh, eat your heart out, eat your heart out, John Woo. There's a guy on the bad side with two golden revolvers. <laughs> oh, you're talking about Albert Al Long. Yeah, and then Endo from freaking uh, Die Hard and Lethal Weapon is there. <laughs> it's, it's just it's bedlam, and we're not we're not bullcrapping you. It's a remember the beginning of Gangs of New York that breaks out. <laughs> it's... 
but, but as you said, I mean, when you first watch it, you assume Jack Burton is the lead, because he's the lead, you know, he's the mm. hero. But as you said already, he is the sidekick. Yeah. Um, and they have the climatic fight, and he knocks himself out. <laughs> and we time. have the guy who we assume to be the sidekick basically does everything for him. <laughs> kills kills one of the uh, other guys. But though, though, uh, I guess, spoiler alert? Oh, feel <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jack does take care of one of the main, uh, the main bad guy in a in a way where it's just kind of like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's not like <laughs> usually because they've set up set up that Jack kind of is more bark than bite. Most of the movie, he's like, you know, yeah, I've done that before. Let's relax. You know, that's essentially Jack. And then he kills a man, and for like a brief moment. Like, Jack is like, holy shit, I just killed somebody. And somebody goes, hey, Jack, is that the first time you plug somebody? Of course it's not. Move on. Like, he does. And that little thing is essentially Jack in a nutshell. He's a guy pretending, pretending to be awesome when he's just a regular dude in this weird as hell situation. <laughs> and yet, at the end, it's like he does this thing uh, with the main character. He kills them. And it comes out of nowhere. But I kind of just accept it, like, oh, okay. I mean, if you go with the Egg's little potion they give him, Egg gives him a potion that, this, describing this movie sounds like a, the ramblings of a four-year-old. <laughs> and there's a guy with a potion, and he gives it to another guy, and there's a guy that does rain, and it, it's, it's, it's ramblings. But, uh, yeah, that, that part was a little weird, but I, I just accepted it because the movie's crazy. <laughs> I mean, if Flash Gordon can kill Ming the Merciless by hitting him with a spaceship, then why can't Jack Burton, you know, throw a knife at somebody's head? Why not? <laughs> you have to accept that this is the, real- the reality where the leader of the good guy gangsters, yes. um, should, we, should we put it, is also working as a, as a tour guide. <laughs> tour guide. And- their, escape, their escape vehicle is a tour bus. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the cast alone is absolutely incredible in this. We have Deep Throat from The X-Files. Yes. Uh, puts in like a little brief cameo at the start. M- um, Mulder's, Mulder's dad, I think. <laughs> oh, it's not Mulder's dad. Isn't that Mulder's dad? I thought that was Mulder's dad. No, no, he's um, he's deep throat from uh, you know his his informant from the first season. Oh yeah, I I I, he, I know he, I know he's from X Files. I could have sworn that was Mulder's dad. Never mind. <laughs> Him and a cigarette smoking man. I always get confused anyway. <laughs> he looks like fake John Noble from uh, <laughs> from Fringe. Okay, that's yeah. exactly what this guy looks like. <laughs> I mean, we also have, like, my old, one well, my heroes of obscure cinema, and that's James Hong, who, when I originally wrote my review, this is back in 2012, mm-hmm. uh, which you can read, obviously, on From the Depths of DVD Hell. He had amassed 366 credits as an actor, and he was still going. Jeez. I mean, <laughs> he's, he's like the Asian Samuel Jackson. Samuel Jackson. Samuel Jackson's like, man, this guy's good. <laughs> <laughs> I really got to take lessons from this guy. <laughs> I mean, James Hong, you probably can't place him. I mean, he was like the waiter in The Big Bang Theory. Oh, um, he plays all these like obscure little bit roles, but he always seems to be there. And he here he actually gets a big role as he plays the evil magician Lo Pan. I think he's um, in he's in R.I.P.D. Right? Yes, he is. Um, he's he's uh... the the real what the real people obviously see. Uh, see, I'm trying to remember his name now. Uh, Ryan, Reynolds. Well, Ryan Reynolds, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he plays the real life Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> By the way, don't ever. We, we've just given you uh, all you need to know about R.I.P.D. Don't see it. <laughs> Stay away from it. 
I actually enjoyed R.I.P. R.I.P. Oh man, I did not like that movie. Ooh man, ooh, and mainly because it was just essentially Men in Black with um, uh, Rooster Cogburn in it. Yeah, yeah, essentially. <laughs> but, but I love the fact with this movie, Carpenter seems to enter it knowing that he has a script that is absolutely insane and makes pretty much zero sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that he's shooting it as a kung fu sort of homage. He knows at the same time he can get away with a lot of stuff. Mm. So the fact we have sword fights where f- people fly f- fly through the air, seventy feet in fighting the air. each other, they run at walls. <laughs> we have like a weird centipede monster, and then we have like this weird hunchback ape thing that Beast Man up, from which no fucking, one seems to know what it is. It's like Beast Man from He Man. It's it's essentially <laughs> Beast Man. And then the flying. Did you talk about? The, did you say mention the flying head, the flying eye head? Oh no, the I didn't mention the flying head. <laughs> we magic essentially exists, and so do creatures from another dimension. This is like Cthulhu type monsters. <laughs> so yeah, and they they made a um, a comic book that takes place after this movie, and I was going to read it because I want to know what the hell. Uh, Beast Man or whatever the hell is this this hunchback ape looking thing? Is he gonna kill Jack? What what what's happening? You know they just, the way they leave it is like oh that would have been a great sequel. And speaking of which, I think yeah, mainly because I've seen Kurt Russell recently. This movie could be sequelized by the way. <clears throat> now like he could be Jack could still be oh, Jack being young is not does not necessary for the character to work. No, no, no. So no, if, if I, I, John Carpenter, if you're listening to this, hey. Call, get Kurt Russell on the phone. <laughs> I would another... love to see a sequel to this movie. Oh, man, so J- Jack Burton now? Oh, man, he'd be even more crotchety. He wouldn't care. <laughs> he'd have a gut. He couldn't, wear, he couldn't, he couldn't pull off the, uh, the T-shirt anymore, but he'd, he'd still be Kurt Russell, so it'd be awesome. Oh, God. Well, listen, see, he's, his whole outfit is just boots, and, like stonewashed jeans, and a vest. He he has like John McClane's wife beater on if he put like a design on it. That's essentially what he's how he's but with boots. Yeah. He learned his lesson. He put shoes on. Uh and then he has like the this uh, it's almost an an effeminate knife. It's not even like a like a manly knife. Like when Commando pulls a knife out, it's like, oh wow, that's a freaking knife. You know, crocodile Denny does a knife. He has like this little eh, <laughs> like a little little small knife. But he gets he so much you use out of the damn thing. <laughs> He he has like yeah he has his boot knife which comes in very handy and he has very quick reflexes for some reason. It's all in the reflexes. It's all um, in the reflexes. But I mean, obviously, you said at the end, it's very sort of open. I mean, he's driving off in his truck. I mean, he saved the day, kind of. Um, and he's got the beastman in the back. I mean, part of me wants to see them do like a sort of like every way but which loose. <laughs> go on, go on the road and arm wrestle people with his <laughs> beast man. But like, instead of having Clyde the Chimp, he'd have his like beast man thing, and he'd battle something. It doesn't have to be like another martial arts thing. Like he could battle something. So it's like over the top meets uh, real steel. Yeah. Okay. I'm. I'm. I'm you, you sold me. I mean, I, I'm. If you told me if it was every which way but loose with uh, Beast Man and Kurt Russell, you got my money. If you tell me it's real steel with Beast Man, you got my money. If you tell me anything with Kurt Russell and that monster doing anything, it could be like Marley and Me. I don't care. I'll watch that movie. <laughs> Marley and Me. <laughs> Just like no, a really I'm... manly version of Marley and Me. <laughs> he would shoot him. It would be like Old Yeller mixed with Marley. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> yes, we've gotten dark here. <laughs> Big trouble, little China. <laughs> uh, 
I mean, this is something, again, I didn't realise until you obviously came on, on this evening and we were discussing the films ahead of recording. Mm. Um, and you was like, this film was supposed to be a Western, which would be like the second occasion which he set out to make a Western and it failed to happen. The first, obviously, being Assault on Precinct 13. Yeah. Um, which is supposed to be a Western. He couldn't get the funding for Western, so he turned it into an urban thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one, again, was supposed to be a Western, but I don't... I kind of can see how it could have been a Western, but I'm really glad that he did it as a Kung Fu movie because it is just so much fun. And it was supposed to star Jackie Chan, of all people, and they were like, uh, no, nah, I think he had some studio problems with that. I can't remember if it was him that didn't want him or the studio didn't want him, but I know Jackie Chan was supposed to play Wang and then they uh, recast him. And I, I, I think that might have been better because I like the yeah. guy. I can't, I can't remember his name uh, that plays Wang. I like him a lot. He's he was. I think the the chemistry he has with Kurt Russell is really good. Though all he keeps saying throughout the movie is, "Come on, Jack! Come on, Jack! Jack! Come on, Jack!" <laughs> yeah, I think Dennis Dunn. He's he's one of those actors who never really seemed to do anything after. I think he was in View to a Kill. I think that's the only other film I can play place him in. But again, that was just more of a real cameo sort of appearance in that. Yeah. But no, I mean, I, 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 this movie, uh, again, if you're a fan of Kurt Russell and you have not seen this movie, you, it, I, I, I hear the story. Uh, Zach Braff dressed like uh, Jack Burton and went to like somebody's Halloween party and Kurt Russell was there <laughs> <laughs> and saw him and took a picture with him. It's like it's one of Kurt Russell's most iconic roles and like maybe five people, you know, have seen it. <laughs> Really, I mean, you would say this is more iconic than like Escape from New York. It's it's well, Snake Bliskin's there, ta- uh, uh, Tango's there. Uh, I mean, I I mean, but when I picture Kurt Russell, I picture Jack Burton. I don't know what it is. I mean, if it's not Snake Bliskin, Snake, Snake Bliskin's probably the first one because of, you know. But Snake Bliskin is he's he's the he, we're talking about westerns. He's essentially Blondie. He doesn't say much. He's you know very quiet. He does cool killing but he doesn't he hasn't have any really wit jack burton is essentially tony stark but <laughs> in kurt russell's body <laughs> he's just quick-witted but he, you know he's got the john wayne thing he's he's funny he's fun he's very uh, cocky yeah so yeah i mean i i i, I for me it's it's got to be jack burton top two I, I i'm trying to think of do I like Tango or do I like Jack Burton? I think I like Jack Burton. <laughs> Jack Burton's so awesome. I think Jack Burton, I mean, Jack Burton would be, if I'm thinking of Kurt Russell roles, that's the one I would always put above Snake Plissken. Mm. Um, but as you said, this movie, it's obviously found its place within the cult cinema fans. The mainstream fans, I think, may like occasionally have heard it if you like just want to like someone who isn't or familiar with these sort of movies they may have heard of it but I think if you certainly if you were growing up in the 80s if you were a child of the 80s then you would have watched this at some point seven million times it came on HBO when I was a little kid every day yeah <laughs> every I mean, single day <laughs> this was like one of those movies that you were always going to watch if you were having like a sleepover or something uh, it'd be this or you watch Robocop oh. uh, it was just like one of those iconic movies that you'd seem to watch a lot in the 80s so I mean that's a that's a block right there. You get like you get you get you start off with like Commando, then you get like a little kid friendly Big Trouble Little China, then you go dark like a nine o'clock RoboCop's on, <laughs> followed by Predator. It's like you know you got a you got a good block of movies right there. <laughs> oh, but no, uh, Tango Tango and Cash. I you see, I would never Tango would never be like one of those those roles that I would 
obviously think of when I think of Kurt Russell. Even though it's probably like one of the most homoerotic action oh, movies next to Top oh. Gun. It's it's Top Gun and Rocky two three. The one where they're running in the ocean is pretty. <laughs> oh, Rocky three. <laughs> that one too. Well, yeah, the Predator also is not. Uh, I mean, that arm wrestling by uh, Dylan and uh, <laughs> Dylan and Dutch is. <laughs> It's a little uh, on the nose there, but no, no, no. It's Tango Cash. You were correct. Well, though, that's why they threw Terry Hatcher in there. So you know, you know, he's he's banging Mr. his sisters. So. <laughs> just so you know, he he's straight. He is Kurt Russell is straight. In the movie. But no, I mean, I think Tango and Cash. It's mainly because of the team up. Yeah. You remember, you remember Tango. Without Cash, there you wouldn't watch Tango without Cash or Cash without Tango. But Jack is just it's Jack, and for him to be such a almost inconsequential member of this plot he doesn't really do much other than take out the bad guy but he's essentially us throughout the movie because all the information throughout the whole movie is given to him he he's i i I keep falling he's like bilbo baggins in this movie (laughs) (laughs) so uh but but you love him i mean i i I just think people will probably go to snake blissing because he's cooler because he's got the eye patch you know he's got you know smoking cigarettes and all that stuff but yeah, uh, Jack Jack Burton's awesome. Interesting. We obviously regard this film as being sort of this cult film, and we dissect. We sort of think in our mind that oh, it came out and he did big business. But when it first came out, it tanked. Yeah. Um, the studio didn't know how to market it. I mean, this really led to Carpenter leaving the studio system to just do independent films mm-hmm. for like the longest sort of time. And I mean, he sort of sort of filtered out his career towards the end. I mean, he sort of like. I think Ghost of Mars, I think was sort of his yeah. last film, and then he sort of like disappeared for a while until he did like the Masters of Horror and sort of found his mojo again. Mm-hmm. I mean, would you like to see a a sequel? I mean, do you think that too much time has passed, or no? I mean, you I... still like you think that the older Jack Burton is sort of like what we need. I mean, we, we've uh, had I've had a lot of conversations about them. I I would rather see a reboot of indie because I don't want to see old indie. But I could watch old Jack, like I like I said before. And I, if you've ever seen The Guest with uh, Dan Stevens, um, the guys who did that, I, f- I forget their name. I think they did You're Next as well. Yes. Uh, which is, th- The Guest is essentially, when I talk about a love letter to John Carpenter movies, it's a, a love letter to Halloween, but just if, if Michael Myers was Jason Bourne. I think those guys can make an awesome, like, Big Trouble Little China movie. Though... Nowadays, because the, the charm of Big Trouble Little China is that the effects are very cheap and cheesy looking, I don't you, you to do it now would be a little difficult unless you're going to go completely tongue in cheek with it. Mm. But I mean, uh, it, if I would I would look for those guys to do it, and if not, we talk about Robert Rodriguez. Robert Rodriguez, who um, I'm kind of in the minority, though he only produced this movie, I loved Predators. <laughs> because I think There's they nothing understand. wrong with Predators. I love that movie. Mainly, because, and I know we're, we're both probably in the minority, but I think the people who made that movie obviously loved Predator. You can tell that they, they hit every note Predator yeah. hits. So, I mean, and I think, and I'm pretty sure Robert Rodriguez is a huge fan of Carpenter as well, so if he were to do something like that, I, I would watch the hell out of him. You can do Jack Burton old. And then Kurt Russell... If you watch him now, it's not, he, he's aging pretty damn well. So um, if Liam Neeson can run around here uh, shooting people and stuff, uh, why not Kurt Russell? Kurt Russell's a badass. And he's it, that charm is not going to go away. He's a charming dude, man. 
uh, in every one of these roles. I can't even when he's a bad guy. I'm like, I, I like this guy. <laughs> Tang, I mean, freaking, I think he's in, is he in Tequila Sunrise with uh, Mel Gibson and Michelle? I can't remember. But yeah, he's just, he's always been like a charming dude, man. I, I like the guy. So I think you could do a Big Trouble in Little China. I probably can't call it that. Unless it's going to be Big Trouble in Little China 2 and it's back in the same freaking alleyway. But uh, I, I would watch the the further adventures of Jack Burton. It, just get, put it out there. I'll watch it. Yeah, I mean, we it's funny you should obviously mention Liam Neeson because we, we sort of entered into this era now of the aging action hero. Which yeah. was really sort of kicked off with like films like Taken, but we're now seeing people like Sean Penn, who did Hell The Gunman. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Arnie is sort of becoming more of an everyman sort of action hero with films like The Last Stand. Mm-hmm. We sort of like this aging uh, gunslinger sort of character. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that an aging Jack Burton would fit perfectly within that. I mean, as long as the bad guy has like a layer has like a layer that looks like an eighties disco, then I'd be happy. <laughs> You want some sequin? You want like a sequin beaded curtain somewhere in the lair? I've never seen so many neons in a bad guy's lair. <laughs> and other than um, uh, Shownuff in uh, <laughs> uh, what was the name of it? Last Dragon. It, it, it felt like like a Barry Gordy film in, in, <laughs> at the end of that movie. It's like where are we? We're not gonna discotheque or something. But yeah, <laughs> it's it's more random. Then when you watch like the clones of Bruce Lee and they're having the fight and you can see a washing line in the background. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? What is that? You've don't look away. Seen... Look away. Just watch the fighting. What, what, look. Don't look at that. <laughs> look over here. Uh, the the clones of Bruce Lee is a film that we have got on the list and we will be discovering in another episode. Um, but obviously, settings for a sequel. I mean, we could obviously um, go to uh, do Little Tokyo. Ooh. Go go Japanese route. Take him on the Yakuza. Um, obviously, whenever you, you say like Little Tokyo, my mind goes to Showdown in Little Tokyo, the Dolph oh. Lundgren. Uh, <laughs> well, you want to talk about homoerotic? <laughs> that might have the most homoerotic line in any action film ever made. <laughs> I mean, by the late Brandon Lee, it's it. I, I don't even know if I can say it. It's so damn homoerotic. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I would just. It was on TCM uh, here in the UK the other night, and I was watching. It, I was like, "This movie is so good." It, it, I, I love that movie, but I remember that, and I was young when I saw that. Where I was like, "Wait a minute, <laughs> what did he just say?" <laughs> but no, that, I think that's the movie where Dolph Lundgren jumps over a moving car, isn't oh, that? Yeah. The, yeah, he jumps yeah. over a moving car, and pretty much the next scene, we have a guy break his own neck. <laughs> <laughs> You don't get movies like that anymore, folks. <laughs> you don't get movies with Tia Carrere. Where the hell is Tia Carrere, goddammit? Get her back at the movies. I don't know. I mean, she was in that Tomb Raider sort of rip-off. Oh, Relic uh, Hunter? Relic Hunter, yeah. which was on Netflix for the longest time and then disappeared like Dara and t- as soon as I wanted to watch it. I think she was at the Wayne's World reunion. And, and I, 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 I think, think that's the last time I've seen her. And She's she looks good. exactly the same. <laughs> So she's aging really well. I mean, the last big movie she did, I think, was True Lies, and then and that was it. it was yeah, 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 yeah. She went yeah, down she... car. <laughs> her career in her went down into that uh, Key West ravine. So, uh, yeah, there we go. We'll cast her in uh, our big trouble in Little, 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 little Tokyo. Tokyo. <laughs> Jack Burton has a thing against Asian people. I think we need to put him in, like, South America. I would put him in, like, Rio de Janeiro or something, and we get, like, <laughs> Some like uh, well, you gotta have magic. You, you gotta put Jack in a situation where it's 
in an element that he's not used to. Maybe aliens. Put him with aliens. Fine. <laughs> shoot. He's done magic. Let's do aliens. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, the character of Jack Burton, he comes off of the sis like, obviously, uh, all-American sort of trucker. You think he's just going to be some, some lug. But we mm. see him in the opening, and he's like integrates himself within the oh, sort yeah. of local gambling community, um, <laughs> and he respects sort of traditions and cultures in in a way. So I mean, it was interesting the fact they didn't have him just like the xenophobic like. No, look. no, he's he's essentially like yeah, he's you're correct. That whole opening scene just shows you that he's an every man for every man, not just you know. The white man. He's he's got the John Wayne thing going, but he's very he can fit into anything. That's why I'm I'm thinking you can put Jack in any situation and he just fit right in. I can see an opening the same opening scene in Papa Frickin' New Guinea. He's talking to a tribesman and they're doing Jello shots or something. I don't know. He he, he can he can fit into anything. Jack Burton is a character um, into himself. He's not dependent on a setting or even a plot really because he's just that cool. So you know. He's cool by while not being cool at all. Because <laughs> he's a horrible he's a horrible guy to have in a battle. <laughs> You'll be fighting the whole time and he'll be laying on his back. <laughs> he's essentially Hong Kong Fury. Yes. I mean, he is exactly <laughs> number I'm... one super guy. Hong Kong Fury. <laughs> Probably just killed any credibility that for this film now, so <laughs> Hong Kong Fu is amazing. <laughs> Batman um, Carruthers, voice of Hong Kong Fui. <clears throat> <laughs> Any final uh, thoughts before we obviously uh, close the book on this one tonight? Uh, the uh, We're talking about going against tropes. I love the fact that the big hero speech by Jack Burton is told with lipstick all over his face. <laughs> 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 it puts a smile on my face every time. Je- uh, <laughs> I, I just He's just essentially the antithesis of... Every- it's going to be the antithesis of any action... 80s film you've seen. This is not John Matrix. This is not John McClane. It, it's it, it's going to catch you off guard how silly it is, but it's silly in a good way. It's very, very fun. I say watch it. Just watch it to say you've watched it. And the cult following is real. People who watch this movie, I don't people I don't see anybody who grew up with this movie say they hate it. They all, I was talking to my friend about it and he's like, you're, you're talking about Big Trouble in China? Now I gotta freaking go watch it. Like He was pissed that I even brought it up. Now he's like, well, go <laughs> home and freaking watch it now. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, do you have a favorite line from the uh, film? Uh, the, the, like you said in the beginning, I, the, the thing I quoted, I where I bastardized in the beginning. That's all in the reflexes. It's, it's that whole that that the movie could have just been Jack in a truck talking on the radio for two hours, and I would have been <laughs> I'm there. I, I, I'd watch yeah. that movie because he's just he's awesome. <laughs> I like when his friend Wang as he's doing the speech with the lipstick on his face, and Wang like flips in and he kind of gives Jack that. Go ahead, Jack. Finish it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, every, every any line out of Jack's mouth. Um, I love Lopan is great. Uh, YouTube that Lopan uh, sings uh, YouTube video. It's it's awesome. Uh, <laughs> uh, and the fact that the man exploded, which it still puzzles me to this day how the guy. I think he's one. Of, I think he's Thunder. He just explodes. Yeah, he loses control of his magic, so uh, that's why he explodes. Oh, thank you. See, for 25 years, I've never understood what the hell this is. <laughs> thank you. That's, That's why I do. came here. <laughs> That's what we do on the show. We, we talk cool movies. We answer the big questions. I, I have nothing else to do. My, my life is now complete. I don't have any other questions in life. That's it. Yeah. I think for myself, the best line in this whole movie is when Egg pulls the magnum out of his pants. He's like, hey, Jack, you want to be Dirty Harry? <laughs> 
Oh, or when he tells Wang, trade you. <laughs> he has a little pistol. <laughs> Egg, Egg is awesome. Egg is another we, We're talking a lot about Jack. Egg is awesome. Uh, what's the name of the guy uh, who's like the lawyer? Or not the lawyer, but he like runs the restaurant. And he's in, he goes out with the, the, the reporter. I forget his name. When they're fighting those women, I, I, I cannot remember his name. It's, it's Wang, it's Jack, and it's a tall dude. I like him too, but I cannot, for the life of me, remember his damn name. No, I can't. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about, though. The, yeah, the, no, he's his, um, his, his, like his brother, isn't it? It's, it's not that his brother is acquaintance or something. He, they go to his restaurant. And they, they, it's not the, the old man runs the restaurant, but the younger uh, Asian guy, he's like, I guess, the, the head of it. And he's, he, he kind of has the hots for the, <laughs> the reporter that Jack brings up oh, out Eddie, of nowhere. Uh, Eddie Lee. Eddie Lee, yeah. Him. He's, uh, he's played by Donald Lee. I like him too. He's cool. <laughs> I don't know why I like him. He's just—he's very like sleazy, but he's—he's he's a good guy. He seems—he seems like he'd be the Ellis bringing it back to Die Hard, but he's not. <laughs> okay, one of the final questions I just have to throw out, and I'm hoping that someone's going to be able to answer it in the comments section. Mm. Do Chinese girls have green eyes? <sighs> I don't even want to. Oh, man. I mean, I've been whenever I'm like at the bar <laughs> or something, or. If, if we're out, it's so like you're there, and you kind of in the back of your mind, you're thinking, "Big trouble, little child." Is this true? Is this like can dogs not look up? <laughs> Wait a minute, dogs can't look up. Apparently, couldn't show the dead. They you're are. you're destroying my reality here. Okay, stop telling Biggest me things. Bears can't run downhill. I've heard cows can't climb downstairs. What what what's happened here? <laughs> what are we talking about? You we turn into National Geographic all of a sudden. <laughs> Same as sheep. Uh, sheep exploded. They roll on their backs. No, now you're just making shit up. No, no, this is this is true. I'm a country boy, so I I know this thing. Sheep they roll on their backs, and because they got flat backs, that they can't roll back up. So their like legs are stuck in there, and the gas in the stomach causes them to explode. Not like this huge like explosion. Okay, because like I'm thinking sp- I'm thinking Kingsman explosion, where it's just like fireworks. <laughs> So I'm like, why haven't billions of people pushed sheep over and recorded it yet? <laughs> why hasn't this happened yet? But, um, uh, if I had to, you know, not sound like a huge racist, I'm going to assume that, you know, there's probably a bunch of Asian ladies or fellas that have green eyes. I'm going to assume. I'm going to cross my fingers and say this was just a stereotype brought up in the uh, 80s. I have no idea. I have no idea. But if I was a betting man, <laughs> I would say no. <laughs> okay, uh, further watching. If you enjoyed Big Trouble in Little China, where'd you go next? Uh, film-wise, if I was going to watch a like a movie after this, yeah, if you were going to like pair it up with uh, something, I know that Flash Gordon is one, but I probably watch Flash Gordon first, then this. Um, if you want to watch another silly actioner, I mean, I think you brought up a good one. Showdown in Little Tokyo is um, pretty good. <laughs> it's weird, but it's pretty damn good. I might throw it. I, I, I might throw that in there. Cool. I mean, for myself, if you're gonna, if you want to ca- check out some classic kung fu, um, then obviously any of the Baby Cut and Pearl series, in particular Baby Cut of the River Sticks. Mm-hmm. If you want to sort of condense the first two movies into like a shorter, sort of more condensable format, watch Shogun Assassin, which is kind of like the uh, best of clips reel. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll show you you also get to see The Lords of Death which are obviously the inspiration for Thunder, Lightning and Rain uh, the three wins in this film um, again if you're just more classic Kung Fu 
Um, I would also recommend checking out things such as Fed Six Chamber of Shaolin, uh, Five Deadly Venoms. Five Deadly Venoms. <laughs> awesome. Um, and the Eight Di- Diagram Pole Fighter. Um, just as a really sort of an entry point into some classic kung fu. Obviously, if you want to go more highbrow, then you can look at the sort of the Kurosawa section and in particular uh, Seven Samurai, which has got, again, some uh, nice kung fu action there for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but unless you've got anything uh, else to, to bring up on this one, uh, DJ? Um, if it's not Showdown Little Tokyo I'm pairing with, I, I was just thinking about it as you are talking, uh, I come in peace with Dolph Lundgren's another good, dumb 80s action film to, to maybe pair this up with. <laughs> Starring Jay Billis, the ESPN analyst. So, yeah, um, I think you, that would be another one, which is Aliens, not uh, Chinese magic. <laughs> cool. Uh, right, we're going to take a quick break, and uh, when we come back, we'll be looking at the second film of this evening, The Big Lebowski. You are about to witness history in the making. <laughs> Hi there, this is Todd from Forgotten Films, and if you spend all your time watching new releases, then you need to broaden your movie horizons. And a great way to do that is by joining me for the Forgotten Filmcast. We don't talk about the new releases, we don't even talk about the classics. We talk about the movies that time forgot. On each episode, I'm joined by another film blogger to discuss a film that may or may not be worth rediscovering. So look for the Forgotten Filmcast on iTunes, Podomatic, and wherever you find great podcasts. And we're back. Uh, still joining me in the studio this evening is DJ Valentine. Mm-hmm. It's me, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> in the uh, first half of the uh, show, we were discussing Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, now, as our projectionist moves on to the next film, uh, we're going to be looking at the 1998 crime comedy, The Big Lebowski, directed by the Cohen brothers. This is an oddity, as we said at the start of the show on the CV, in the fact that it's a stoner comedy in many ways, as well as a crime thriller. The film itself is based around uh, this slacker known as The Dude, paid uh, here by Jeff Bridges. And basically, he all he cares about is just generally getting stoned and bowling. These are his two loves in life. But he finds himself caught up in a case of mistaken identity when a millionaire named Jeff Lebowski, who was the original intended victim, causes him to be paid a visit by a couple of nihilists. He's then, as a, through a weird twist, uh, recruited by the millionaire Lebowski to find his kidnapped trophy wife, and he commissions the dude with delivering the ransom screw release. Needless to say, the plan does go awry, and the dude finds himself on a rather strange journey to find out what exactly has happened. Um, as I said, this is an unusual movie, and the fact that the Coen brothers, while they have certainly given us their fair show of odd characters, this would really be the only sort of like midnight sort of movie, um, and certainly the only sort of movie where they have like a stoner as their sort of lead character. Uh, DJ, your opening thoughts on this one? Uh, this is, for me, this is arguably the funniest Coen brothers film. Uh, a lot of people say, oh, brother, where are thou? Um, but I, I think this one is. It's my third favorite behind Fargo and Raising Arizona. Arizona being the first Coen Brothers film I ever saw. Uh, it is almost timeless, and f- it's funny and it's enjoyable every time I watch it. And it's is it's not because of the story, because the plot of this movie, even in the universe of the movie, is a throwaway. To me, it's the characters. These characters are so great and interesting and different and ridiculous. 
we're all feeling like real people like we're taking a voyeuristic peek at some undiscovered <laughs> nook of america <laughs> yeah but but they still are they still feel relatable the the exchanges these characters have throughout the movie if it's not the uh, i mean jeff Le, jeff, jeff lebowski the uh, the dude and walter kind of take uh a lot of the attention away from that every the the every character in this movie the, even to the smallest are um, like not only just well cast just well done i mean you have donnie brant played by philip seymour friggin hoffman the Jesus, uh, uh, the dude's landlord, Maud, played by Oscar winner Julianne Moore, the nihilist, Jackie Treehorn, Sam freaking Elliott. It's just these characters are all interesting and great, and I love them. And this is like one of these uh, cult, again, going against tropes. We're talking about Big Trouble in China going against the action 80s trope. This goes against the old detective, pulpy you know, uh, Sam Spade kind of detective thing yeah. where he just makes Sam Spade an idiot, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, this uh, th- this is a movie where I follow the characters. The characters is what get you through it, and that's what makes it rewatchable because you can just watch these guys interact. All through, that's what I'm watching it for. It's, it's a fascinating movie. I know there's a lot of people who say they don't like the Coen Brothers, but they love The Big Lebowski. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you mentioned that Fargo is one of your personal favorites. I personally can't stand Fargo. Oh um, wow! I know Will over exploding the helicopter hates this movie with a passion. Hates Lebowski or hates Fargo? I, he hates Lebowski. There's a wow. rant on one of the Lambcasts. I forget which one it is, but he just goes off on one about Big Lebowski. <laughs> I think it's when they were talking about Hard Day's Night. He he just goes off and uh, how much he hates this movie. So. Hmm, I, 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 I got nothing. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's an acquired taste. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I just think the, the, the characters, to me, they, they make me laugh. And I can just watch them talk. So it didn't really... I mean, if you're, looking, if you're going to the Big Lebowski for plot, you're going to the wrong place. You're not, <laughs> that's not what this movie... I mean, the movie tells you. They throw away... Spoiler alert. They throw away the plot of what this movie's about with a third of the movie left. So it's not about, it's essentially about how these people, the relationships these people have uh, and what the dude is essentially our guide through these weird people that exist in this almost fairy tale version of California. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, and I can understand people not, maybe not like it, like it. I, I, it's the first time I've ever heard somebody say it's atrocious. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. It's, I mean, the film, does exist, as you said already, within its own world. I mean, it's kind of ironic that it spawned its own festival, uh, yes. the Bowski Fest, which again, is it, again, it's, it's very much its own world, um, mm-hmm. where they basically just homage the hell out of this movie. Um, I mean, there's a really great documentary called The Achievers, which focuses on the festival, and they have like the costume party, and they have people dress up and they'll take like a single line of dialogue like there's a guy with mud on his face and it's like oh yeah this is because because Walter says face down in the mud oh jeez <laughs> wow that's a little bit far, farther uh, of a fan of it than I am <laughs> I mean, have you ever have you been to a Lebowski fest at all I've seen uh, I've watched they had the anniversary where they had all the, the closest I got I, I saw uh, Bridges he was was it Amsterdam they had like a a, a a dude head shop I think and I saw like they had the the uh, reunion with all the cast members there, but that's about as far as I've ever gotten. And I, and I, I've heard on the, 
I've heard they've had these things, but I've never seen one. I can only imagine what the hell's going on there. But as you're telling me, that's almost, you know, Star Wars fanatical. So Yeah. Basically, you just, like, turn up and you bowl and drink white Russians. and <laughs> Which, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it, I... <laughs> it's one of the easier fan groups to belong to. Because <laughs> you don't have to do anything. You just wear, a, get, get get like a t-shirt and some flip, uh, some like sandals and some shorts, and grow out your beard a little bit, and you're you're the dude. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> this really is from the Jeff Bridges movie. Um, sad, sadly, he, Oscar winner Jeff Bridges. <laughs> he embraces the uh, the character, of the dude. I mean, he did all the wardrobe for the dude himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, you can see how. After the films he was making before, he did Big Lebowski and the films he made afterwards. And the films he made afterwards, he's always trying to work a little bit of the dude in. Like, you look at Tideland, and he's like, oh, this is like if the dude was a rock star. Yeah. Um, Tron Legacy. Yeah. (laughs) This is like if the the dude was a hacker. (laughs) I think he says a line from Lebowski. Uh, He says he was talking to Garrett Hedlund. And he says something like you're you're cra- you're you're cramping my buzz or something. He says some kind of dudism. Oh, no, like, I was thinking uh, the line I was most thinking of in that was like, "Oh, we were jamming, man." Something like that. Yeah, he he does a something when he's talking to Garrett Hedlund in that movie. He's a very dude like, but I can't remember the first Tron that much, so I don't know if that's how his character was. But to me, it was the dude. So <laughs> <laughs> the dude in the computer. So yeah. Um, but no, I mean, I'm a big proponent of right like i i told you i like mammoths and i love clever writing and if you take away everything from this movie the writing in it and the and the performances philip seymour hoffman as brant i I was watching this recently and uh, philip seymour hoffman's one of the greats god god miss him he's this awesome and i'm watching him in this movie which i I, you almost forget he's in it Mm. and brant is so (laughs) entertaining to me if you're just because your eyes essentially go toward the dude, but if you make an effort to watch what Philip Seymour Hoffman does, especially the scene where um, old Lebowski, uh, original Lebowski, is uh, strong men do cry. If you go to if you watch what Philip Seymour Hoffman is doing, he's like standing at attention with his hands to his side. <laughs> it's, it's very weird, and he's like, "Yes, this is when the, the first Mrs. Uh, Reagan was uh, the first lady of the nation. Yes, yes, the nation." <laughs> so he's very particular and. Good, and this is a throw. Brant is nothing. To, he's just a guy there, and then yeah, Peter Stromer is a nihilist with flee from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. It's just, these characters are just to me, they're so interesting in their weirdness, and I think that maybe that captivates me the most is because they're just. I mean, Donnie, <laughs> the, the Steve Buscemi is just—he's in a different movie essentially, where he's always trying to catch up. If you again go watch all those conversations where the dude is talking to Walter, and just ignore them and watch Donnie, it's a completely—you're watching a different movie. <laughs> He's—I am the Walrus. I am. The, it's just this great stuff there. I mean, again, it's not—it's not a plot-driven movie. It's essentially you're—you're—you're you're, you're peeking in on these people. Watching their watching their lives and eh, it, it and I, I can maybe understand people like why does this movie get all the attention and the Corn Brothers did shit like No Country for Old Men which is fucking amazing and so it I, I don't view it like that I don't go like well because they did something really really uh, a drama I can I have to shit on Lebowski I don't do that because I think the, the Lebowski is great in its own way the No Country for Old Men is an amazing film but it's 
got nothing to do with this whatsoever. <laughs> so it, it's go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I mean just when it comes to the Coens, I mean you obviously mentioned No Country for All Men. I didn't care for No Country for All Men. I like all the films where they where they say, Oh, this is the Coen Bros worst movie. Like I like the man who wasn't there. Yeah. Um, I love Hudsucker Proxy. Hudsucker Proxy, another weird, again, weird <laughs> characters interacting in a weird, almost fantasy like version of the 50s, 60s. So it's just weird. Did they do Serious Man? I think they did Serious Man, they right? Did do Serious Man. Yeah, which is another weird, almost, it, it's, it's, was it ultra realistic? It's, it's more realistic than, and less comedic than Big Lebowski, but it's comedic and it's like depressing. <laughs> it's that, that's their films. It's, it's very hard to explain them because they're just their own thing. And, but I, at the heart of all of them, I think it's the characters. If it's Anton Chigurh or the freaking dude or uh, William H. Macy, a Lundergaard, the characters are so interesting in their peculiarities. And I think they essentially, instead of like making these super unrelatable characters. They make these weird characters that could exist or, and probably do exist in, you know, America. Like, there is a, a Margie running around there somewhere in North Dakota. And there is a dude somewhere. There's a, there, shit, there's a damn Sam Elliott cowboy somewhere. There's, there, these people are, they seem like you're looking at them, but you know these people. You can relate to them. And that's why I like, I mean, the movie itself is all over the place, but that's what makes it fun for me. I don't know. I mean, the fact is that the Coens, when they were writing the screenplay, so much of this is based on things that really happened, such as when the car's, uh, the dude's car gets stolen. Yeah. They, they trace it back to uh, the, the kid who stole it because his homework was left in the car. <laughs> stranger in the Alps. This is what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps. <laughs> <laughs> American edit, American edit, <laughs> television edit, television edit. <laughs> 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 I was like, I mean, when I'm watching this, for myself, this movie feels very much like Blue Velvet, except with jokes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is also, yes, that's very good. Because David Lynch, another one, who's just like, uh, I'm going to make these characters the weirdest characters you've ever seen. Yeah. But for some reason, you're going to like relate to them a little bit, but they're weird as shit. <laughs> you don't understand why you're relating to them. <laughs> yes. Because this is, as you said, there is no sort of rhyme, no reason to anything that happens in the film. It's just the dude encountering all these odd people who all play different parts in this sort of ongoing conspiracy, or they've got their own sort of agendas. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've obviously got the the main storyline with uh, the, the Mr. Lebowski, his wife, funny, um, played by Tara Reid. Uh, who was... <laughs> who essentially became the character? <laughs> she's yeah. so method. Her her career turned her into Bunny. <laughs> yeah, she's uh, the go digging trophy wife who uh, who disappears, and uh, he's obviously sent to track down. At the same time, we've obviously got like Julianne Moore as uh, the avant garde artist and feminist, and she's so wonderful in this movie. Yes. Like when she's going on about like. <laughs> like vagina does that make you, do you like do you like sex lebowski? mr lebowski do you, are you uncomfortable with it it's the female the female form <laughs> and she's doing she's doing these those old sam spade type of uh maltese falcon uh type of role vo- at least in her in her delivery <laughs> she's yeah she's, she's awesome she's great in that movie um i mean again there's you've seen a lot of people who are doing roles which you wouldn't expect them to be doing like you've got john toretto as the jesus oh the, the pederast. <laughs> the 
underestimated the bowler of the rival team. And he's so... There's just this flamboyant character who's like... They're like making love to his bowl. You see him like slowly licking it to like the he gypsy the cocaine, king's cup of Hotel California. He has the cocaine fingernail on his pinky uh, <laughs> <laughs> with the uh, painted red. It's like he's just the most. I'm looking at my wall and I have a what uh, WWTJD poster on my wall. What would the Jesus do <laughs> with with John Turturro from that movie? He and he's not in the movie long. I think he has three scenes or maybe less than that. Maybe two scenes. Yeah. He's, and he's that's really it. in it a lot less than you would think. Than the yeah. amount of, what fans talk about him, you'd expect him to be a more prominent character than he is. <laughs> he's uh, he's he's like the uh, Agent Coulson of this movie. <laughs> he's barely he's barely there. He's barely there. <laughs> he's always there, but not quite there. Uh, there. He's always in the background somewhere. It's not even him. It's his uh, his partner. I love his partner, uh, Liam. <laughs> With the belly, the belly guy with the muscles, like that, they do not look like they would ever meet and be friends anywhere. And I almost, I like to think in my mind that Liam is his parole officer because <laughs> 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 he has the, the, the little, you know, his Joe Friday mustache or whatever. But yeah, I mean, all of these characters, the the landlord for some reason, every time it makes me laugh but then feel bad when he's asking the dude hey, hey dude i i got the the venue and i'm gonna do my uh thing and by the way it's the 10th it's <laughs> 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 far out man no no i just slide the rent under the door it's like I, I, th- that guy and the dude actually goes to the thing and there's it, little things like that you don't even they they were probably like where should we set this scene hey the dude's a good guy he would go to the guy's thing and he would see it, and he does, which I thought, and it's ridiculous. He's essentially <laughs> in a leotard hopping around for five minutes. Is that what that was? Yes, that, that I, was. I, the, I mean, I was watching the thing because I was, as I dug up my VHS, I was rocking it old school last night. Oh, that's a good um, And I was like, this scene came on, and for some reason, I thought it was like the guy um, in Maud's apartment who just like is like randomly laughing. I thought that this was oh, like no. his avant garde <laughs> art thing. Yeah, the- <laughs> Guy. yeah not him no it was the landlord the he asked the he goes i'll be there man i'll be there and he, he they had their meeting at the guy's recite the recital which i thought was really cool i was like oh it's a good callback and it's it's that guy is just weird. that's how much depth i think those these little small yeah. characters shit the limo driver you know fucking hey i got a rash man that there's every little exchange they have the little the private dick that's following them around it all these characters <laughs> Are peculiar, but you're interested in every, every last one of them, which is a rarity. Most of yeah. the times you watch a movie and it's like, I don't give a shit about this guy. I don't care about this guy. But you get something. The the the, the fucking Eagles, the taxi driver guy, the police sheriff. All of these characters are funny and good in every one of these exchanges. The, it, does it make a you know well paced out, thought out narrative probably not but it's I, I don't look at the movie that way i just look at the movie as you're gonna see a slice of this weird world with these weird characters for two hours and yeah. just have fun with it so i mean one of my i love the fact that if the comans can't find a way to tie one scene to the other they just have a dream sequence yeah <laughs> <laughs> a very weird where saddam hussein is now selling you bowling shoes <laughs> yeah we have like saddam and we have like a valkyrie which has nothing to do with anything. No, 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 nothing. Um, and <laughs> you have like, the scene where he's going through the legs of the dancing uh, pin girls. <laughs> and it's the smile on his face. You could not jackhammer that smile off. No, no, no. I mean, it's, it's, it's essentially... I mean, if you watch those dream sequences, this is essentially callbacks to things we've seen, like the, the log jamming 
uh, scene and the the Nile is cutting off his penis thing and with the scissors and again right there when you watch any of those dream sequences that's when you know what movie you're in you're watching just a weird and it's funny because this movie is what I wanted Inherent Vice to be but I think Inherent Vice leaned way more to the psychedelic side where Lebowski I think rides the line a little better where I can still kind of enjoy it where Inherent Vice I was kind of like I don't know what the hell is <laughs> am I high I think I'm high what the, I didn't do any drugs with but uh which I'm not really shitting on Inherent Vice other than it's very hard to follow if you're not prepared for it <laughs> but yeah. Big Lebowski I think is a little bit easier to follow because it's at the if you take a throw away anything you're gonna laugh you're there's 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 you're gonna find a scene in there where you're gonna laugh if, if it's not shut the fuck up Donnie it's gonna be you know <laughs> The, it's not fair, Lebowski. It's going to be one of these freaking things that's going to make you laugh. Yeah, every time I watch it, there's always something different that makes me laugh. Like when I was watching it last night, the scene where he's having the dream, uh, where he's like flying for the air, and then he suddenly has looks in his hand, he's got the bowling ball, and he like suddenly drops to the ground. I just like cracked <laughs> up for like five minutes after seeing that one scene. I, I think I just like I I love the scene with Brant in him. I think it's the second scene of the movie. Or maybe the third scene, and he's just like touching the thing. And every if you again watch Philip Seymour Hoffman, it's very subtle. And Lebowski keeps touching it, and he doesn't want. He wants to tell him. He tells him to stop, and then Lebowski keeps touching it. He's just trying to keep on a smile on his face while being very uncomfortable that Lebowski keeps touching the freaking, <laughs> the freaking award. It's just little things like that. I, 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 I that's why I like it. I mean. Uh, <laughs> The story I kind of gave up after when the way they give up, they have this whole exchange where they're like, "Fuck it, dude, let's just go bowling." That's their that's the whole <laughs> mantra of the movie. Where it's like, "Oh, we fucked that up. Let's just go bowling." Yeah, because it's not about the story. It's not about the kidnapping. It's barely even about uh, Donnie's death, which was it breaks my heart every time. Spoiler alert. Sorry if anybody never seen Big Lebowski. I don't know what the hell's wrong with you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're the wrong. <laughs> you're you're wrong. Um, but no, it's 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 just these people. You're just getting a slice of life of these people, and uh, I love the foreshadowing of Donnie having a uh, spoiler again. God, Donnie having a heart attack where he rolls the pin or rolls the ball and he misses mm. because they show that he he he's Donnie's an excellent bowler, but when you have a heart attack, your arm hurts, and that's why he misses. And he, if I didn't pick that up to maybe the fifth time I saw the movie. <laughs> I, did, I, I never realized that. Yeah, we're, you, you, we're learning so much on this podcast tonight. <laughs> We've learned about sheep exploding. We've learned uh... <laughs> <laughs> there's all these things. But no, like I, I think uh, he the, the, they intro the scene. They intro three scenes where Donnie rolls the thing. I'm knocking him out of the park, dude, and, and market market, dude, and you're not, you're not paying attention to Donnie because again, Donnie's in a different movie. You're watching. You're paying attention to the dude and Walter. But if you watch those scenes again, it always opens with Donnie getting a strike. And then before the Nihilists show up, he rolls a ball and he misses. And then what does Donnie die of? Heart attack. <laughs> Heart attack, your arm hurts. And that's why it's, a, it's and you can kind of see him fiddling with his hand a little bit. Yeah. Like, oh, that, that was actually very subtly well done. And again, it was so subtle, I missed it the first five times I watched the movie. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean... I, 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 again, I can understand why people hate this movie. I, I, I don't understand hate. Maybe not like. Maybe be offended that this gets uh, a lot more attention than other Coen Brothers films like Oh Brother Where Art Thou or Serious Man or The Man Who Wasn't There, stuff like that. But I mean, it's fun. It's just fun. This is a fun, well written still, even for its absurdity movie. Yeah. 
I mean, the other scene I really love in this movie is when they're going and the Walter's trying to intimidate the uh, school kid. Oh yeah. Um, to try and get the money back because he he thinks he still has the the money that they left in the dues car. Um, and this this school kid doesn't care. But when they walk in the room and the guy's in the iron lung, <laughs> and that just cracks me up. And I'm like thinking, God, I'm such a bad person. But that is just so funny. <laughs> the guy from Branded. He was on 600 episodes, dude, or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> that and people remember the the stranger in the Alps, uh, fuck a stranger in the ass scene. Uh, but I love the. We're gonna cut your fucking dick off, man. <laughs> that, that, them, the intimidation scene is. You're right. It's funny, man. It's just really that alone, and that goes absolutely nowhere. That kid didn't have anything to do with anything. It's just a funny part of the movie. <laughs> when they the, fight. I'm I sorry. Mean, go ahead. The, the real one. Of the I mean, again, it's the real strength of this movie is in the writing. Yes, yeah. it's a stupid movie, but the writing is so good. Like. When they're watching the log jamming video, and it's like, she's like, "Oh, I think you can guess how it, how it, this one ends." Fixes and it's like, "Oh, he fixes, fixes the cable." Cable. <laughs> well, she's like, "Do you like? Do you like uh, sex? Sex? You mean coitus?" <laughs> That's their the way the dude handles these exchanges is where he's like almost unflappable. The only person that really catches him off guard is Walter. Everybody else, he's kind of like, "I don't care, whatever." <laughs> Jackie, the Jackie. We haven't even talked about Jackie Treehorn. Brendan Gazzara, who's <laughs> with the with the the uh, the notepad, and he's he's scratching and trying to find like a clue, which goes against again every trope of movie. You've seen this thing where they find a clue by scratching the pad, and the last thing the guy wrote, and the last thing he wrote was a picture of a dick. It's, <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, this is not, it's not that type of movie, man. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, I the, the only other thing I can think of that's. Uh, other than these great exchanges, um, and we've kind of been ignoring them because they're so good. John Goodman, holy crap! <laughs> if you want, what if you talk about roles that define a character, I'm trying to think of a better John Goodman role than this role. I mean, I, I love them in uh, Raising Arizona, and yeah. I love them in Barton Fink, but man, I think forever he's going to be remembered as Market Zero. Market Zero. <laughs> Summer Saturday Shabbos. The thing with. <laughs> Um, with Goodman especially, he's really one of the Cohen brothers. He's one of their guys. Go-to guys, yeah. Um, the same way that Samuel Jackson's Tarantino's guy, the same way we said that obviously with Kurt Russell, he's Carpenter's guy. There's mm-hmm. certain directors who just work well with certain actors. Well, obviously, Goodman's gone on. He's done other good roles elsewhere. I mean, he was great in um, Red State. Yeah. But, I mean, you his characters aren't as iconic as like Walter in this film. No, I mean him. Him and Buscemi, both of them are essentially Cohen brothers mainstays, and mm. I love. I mean, I, I, again, I'm big. <laughs> Fargo's my favorite film of theirs because I, I just love that, and I love the TV show. Watch the TV show if you love Fargo, by the way. Uh, but Buscemi and Fargo is excellent. But something about Donnie, man, and he again not in the movie as long as you think he's in the movie. <laughs> you got to kind of pay attention to him because he's so a fly on the wall type of a character where you're not really paying attention to him because you got these two essentially titans just screaming. You got Walt, you got Jeff Bridges and John Goodman screaming at each other and you're not paying attention to the little things Steve Buscemi is doing in the background throughout the movie. And yeah, they, they, the Coens know how to use those two guys really, especially Goodman. Goodman is like, you're right. They, that, that's the kind of, I mean, Spielberg used Dreyfus a lot and you know, uh, I think he, he moved on to Hanks. And then, you know, 
uh, Scorsese uses uh, DiCaprio now, you know. Yeah. But um, yeah, Goodman is essentially kind of like their muse, and he 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 nails every bit of dialogue he's given, and he's given ridiculous dialogue. <laughs> I love the relationship though between Walter and Donnie. I mean, when you first see these characters, you think it's just that uh, Donnie's sort of this trampled down. Uh, sort of smaller guy and Walter's this domineering hothead mm-hmm. and then you get to the end of the movie and he's so upset and he's so yeah. comforting to Donnie when he's having this heart attack and he's sort of like he's like and when the nihilists show up he's like oh don't worry Donnie these are just nihilists don't be scared <laughs> very protective like it's like it's like almost like his son kind of thing yeah. you know and I, and I guarantee you in the other movie that's going on Donnie's probably like a regular like He's probably got his shit together more than the re- those two guys, but he's the odd man out because we're looking at it through their perspective. That's what I'm telling you. There's a different movie going on there where, we, <laughs> where we're not paying attention to, the Donnie story. I would love to watch the Donnie story, like the flipped perspective of Big Lebowski. <laughs> I mean, you only have to... I mean, when they're doing the eulogy um, yeah. at the end of the movie for, for Donnie, and you realize that he actually has done a lot. I mean, he was like this avid surfer and stuff. He Surf, wasn't just... Yeah this guy uh who was on the dude's bowling team yeah that scene for as that scene to me is like a very good microcosm of the movie because it starts off very like warm and then kind of sad but then hilarious at the same time (laughs) where he can't get the ashes out and then the dude is just like fuck it i mean the fact that the dude hates walter but loves him at the same time is really like encompassing that scene where he's He's so pissed at him, and he knows that they're this. He's just a dumb brother. He's just essentially your dumb older brother that you you, you can't. You, 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 he just does stupid shit all the time, but you you, you love him anyway. <laughs> yeah. So he's also the uh, the only guy you probably <laughs> get away with throwing a, ma- a disabled man out of his wheelchair because he doesn't believe <laughs> he's disabled. This guy, I've seen a lot of spinals in my day, dude. <laughs> This guy's a faker. <laughs> I, I mean, if I had to pick that scene in the the I, the coffee scene, the coffee house scene, where he's, I, I'll get you a, a toe by three o'clock with nail polish. <clears throat> Those are kind of my favorite. I, I mean, people go to the Market Zero a lot, but man, I love the coffee house scene. I love the scene where with with they go and the, they confront Lebowski. It's so good. <laughs> when they're on the same page, when Walter and Dude are on the same page, and it's brief. <laughs> Usually it's brief. It's when I really love Walter. So, <clears throat> oh, but this is, I mean, again, the scene where they're going to do the money exchange, yeah. And Walter like has come up with this half baked plan of how they're <laughs> going to like grab one of them and take it over. And when he tries to do the combat roll out the car, <laughs> he, br- he drops the Mac Ten and it's like <laughs> shooting the Uzi and it's spinning and shooting. The <laughs> Ridiculous, ridic- And then at the end of the, that all that whole thing, it's fuck it, let's just go pull. It's like there's no there's no repercussions to it, and in this in a way they cut from that scene to this Walter not giving a shit, and dude's not the phone's just ringing and ringing, yeah. and Walter's just oblivious to the situation because the situation is unimportant. It's not. It's just these characters. That that to me is essentially the 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 motto of this movie. Don't worry about the bullshit that's happening in the plot and the tree horn and the <clears throat> the carpet pissers. It doesn't. It, those. It's just. Watch these people interact for two hours. Watch the weird shit that you're going to have. Watch the fact that dude crashed that, that shot of dude crashing his car into a light post because he drops a roach in his, in his crotch. 
I mean, do you have a favorite scene within the film? Oh God. Oh, I, it, it, again, I'm going to be torn maybe because I, I'm a huge Philip Seymour Hoffman fan. I love Brant so much. Any scene where Philip Seymour Hoffman is interacting with the dude, especially I like, like I told you when he's showing him the awards and the scene where Tara Reed uh, is like, um, I'll suck your cock for a thousand dollars. And Brant is trying to like get, trying to put a good spin on it. And he's like, oh, it's, it's amazing. It's great. It's great. He's laughing with the teeth. <laughs> he's laughing through a grin. And he goes, well, he'll have to pay 100 He goes, oh, she's great. We, we're very fond of her. <laughs> very good. Um, again, the, the Stranger in the Alps scene with the guy from Branded and the, the <laughs> Larry, I guess. Uh, it, it's awesome. And the, the nihilist scene, the, the, like you're talking about, because there's a whole bunch of shit going on in that scene where you get something out of it the whole time. Because I'm laughing my ass off at, it's not fair, Lebowski. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And so, yeah, that, catch me that. tomorrow, it'll be a whole bunch of, it'll be all different scenes. Yeah. That's why I like this movie so much, because I love those scenes today. And tomorrow, I love the whole private dick scene or the, 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 the scene with Julianne Moore and him in the bed, which is very subtle and funny. <laughs> Nothing really happening, but yeah. I mean, it's funny you, did, you just now obviously mentioned the nihilist scene, yeah. And where he's like, his car's on fire. Because this point, the car's been like slowly destroyed over the course of the film. He's like, they finally did it. They killed my car. Like they killed my fucking car, man. <laughs> like the, when he's describing the car to the cops, uh, and he's <laughs> like, it's green with rust coloration. <laughs> <laughs> And then you hear Julian. That whole scene is played out really well. Where the cop is like, he's like, "Oh, they also stole my rug. Your rug was in your car? No, I'm a different thing." And then Julian Moore calls on the phone. And after he says that, the cop's like, "Oh, separate incidents." And then Julian Moore calls on the phone. He goes, "Well, I guess we wrapped that one up." <laughs> <laughs> it's just uh, little little subtle stuff like that is what makes the movie fun for me. For myself, it's the opening. I love oh. the the slow motion uh, bowling, and you're seeing like the guys and they're doing the little celebrations in slow-mo and that. <laughs> la, 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 la. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Bob Dylan's uh, Man in Me, which that's going to be, when they like uh, shuffling me off to the crematorium, that's going to be like the opening song. I'll write this down. I'll be your power of attorney. Yeah. Uh, write that down. Bob Dylan. Well, okay, I got it. <laughs> we're going to have Man in Me, um, I'm being put in a coffee can, and we're having barbecue. Uh, just play for me the Prince album uh Purple Rain, I think I'll be good. Just from beginning to end. It, it kind of encapsulates my life. So yeah, that would be fine. Cool. <laughs> I mean, the other scene I love is uh, when he's like <laughs> he's like in his um, apartment and you've got the guy peeing on the rug and he like picks the bowling ball and he's like, he's Dr- like just what the it. fuck is this? And he's like, I can see you're clearly not a golfer. Golfer? <laughs> <laughs> and that's the, isn't that the, that's not the smoke monster. That's the other guy from Lost. Uh, not Titus Welliver, but the other guy. Uh, Lost fans out there. Um, uh, uh, I probably spoiled five seasons, but yeah. <laughs> There's a guy on there on the, on the island. And that's the, the guy who drops the bowling ball in the bathroom. <laughs> so, I mean, I, there's just so many. As you said, it's so hard to pick one particular scene. Yeah. But... You, you, I, if I ask you the same question tomorrow, hey, what's your favorite scene in Lebowski? I guarantee you it was not the scene you just said. I guarantee it's going to be something else that's going to pop in your head. Oh, yeah, what about the scene where it's Sam Elliott and the dude at the bar? And he's like, do you have to use such harsh language, dude? What the fuck are you talking about, man? That that scene to me is awesome. <laughs> and it's just, it has nothing to do with anything. Wow. I mean, I love the fact Sam, Sam Elliott seemingly sets up as the narrator for this yes. film. 
And then he provides the opening narrator, appears randomly in the middle, and then like wraps the film up. And he's like, "Well, that's about it." <laughs> and and it's mu- it, with, with the greatest mustache, him and Tom Selleck's mustache might be the greatest mustache ever. Tom, uh, Sam Elliott was on the last season of Justified, and he didn't have a mustache, but yet I only saw him with a mustache. <laughs> Sam Elliott's awesome, and he has I mean, that great voice, which that's is the source of his power. Yeah, it's, it's essentially Samson, but with a mustache. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's great. It's great. And it ha- again, there's a lot of scenes that have shit to do with anything, but yet they, they have a lot to do with everything. The whole thing in the, the whole opening scene where he's in the, the grocery store and he's like, sometimes there's a man. Well, sometimes there's a man. <laughs> it's just great. It's, it has, it, it, he, he's awesome. There's so much things I could, we can point at. That that we're forgetting. I guarantee somebody. What about the scene when this happens? That we're. I know we're forgetting because there's a billion scenes in this movie that are great. Yeah, I mean, I've. I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, New Sensations actually did an adult version of The Big Lebowski, mm. and it is shot for shot, perfect, like okay. representation of this film. Okay, you got to send me this. I got. I got to see this. This <laughs> this is like the weirdest like thing because, um, I got sent it but sent it because of. Uh, competition Paris Cinema were running is like uh, they were doing it in co-op, like uh, alongside New Sensation it's like oh come up with a porn parody and it was like I was like how I banged your mother um, <laughs> which is a whole different story because I'd like said well I also have written the script and that just led in a whole other misadventure which we'll talk about at some other date but this <laughs> film is like shop shot perfect and instead of a rug it's his wank pile <laughs> Wait, when they watch, when they watch, it would be great if Log Jamming wasn't a porn. It's like Log Jamming is like a regular show. <laughs> oh, I mean, <laughs> they've, they've done like the dream sequences in there. It's it's like you're watching it and you're like, you're watching it trying as a, being a Lebowski fan. And you're watching, you're trying to see, oh, did they miss them? And it's like, no, they've done that scene. They've done that scene. And like the scene where he's like lying on the, um, lying on the rug, uh, listening to the bowling Oh, yeah, he's listening to Strikes over <laughs> and over gonna, again. He's got a mixtape. One half of it is Bob Dylan. The other half is just sounds from the bowling alley. <laughs> I mean, th- which is ridiculous. And people almost forget that scene where he's just, what, why is he listening to Strikes? <laughs> <laughs> I guess it gets your head right. I mean, that, uh, he really, really loves bowling. <laughs> but, uh, no, the company New Sensations, they've actually done a, a number of parodies. They've done The Breakfast Club and Seinfeld. Oh. Oh God! I can only imagine the side. Friends. <laughs> oh God! Well, well, yeah. Friends is kind of need and needed for a porn. So <laughs> a porn. Um, I, I can't vouch for the others, but the Big Lebowski. If you're a Big Lebowski fan and want to see the adult version, then uh, check that out. <laughs> New sensations. We need to put them as a sponsor. We, we had Pornhub on our last show, so. <laughs> <laughs> We're, we're, we're now uh, reaching a new demographic. <laughs> hey, if people want to like want to like kill their, any like credibility their company had by sponsoring us, feel free to drop us an email. Hey man, I'll take sponsorship by anybody at this point. If if if, if Pornhub or New Sensations wants to sponsor us, I'll talk about the uh, Spank Bank all day. Let's go. Cool. <laughs> um. Further viewing for uh, Big Lebowski. This is probably more of a tricky one because the Big Lebowski, mm-hmm. as you said, is such a it's such a curiosity. Not only on the Coen's brothers, but just generally, um, there are very uh, very few films like it. 
Um, where would you sort of go next? Uh, I'd probably say Dazed and Confused. Um, oh, good choice. Mainly, I mean, it's the stoner thing, but it's also like those two films. I'm going to talk about cult followings. Dazed and Confused is uh, one of those films where you just gotta. You can I can watch that these two movies no matter if I walk in. There's a couple of movies where like we were talking about Die Hard earlier. Uh, whatever it's on, I, whatever part it's on, I'll finish watching it. I won't change the channel. Days and Confused is like that. Big Lebowski is like that. Where if it's on, no matter what part, I'll be in it. And I, I think they're kind of reaching that same kind of audience where it's a really well-written kind of stoner movie. <laughs> you don't really get those. Usually they're very cheap joke stoner movies. You don't get the cheap joke out of these. So yeah, I go Days and Confused. For myself, um, I'm going to go with Ghost World. Oh, good one. Um, again, Ghost World it exists within its own sort of world, and it seemingly has no plot. You're just essentially you are essentially ghosts within this world of these these two characters, um, Enid and Rebecca, as they try to figure out what they're going to do now they've left uh, high school, and they encounter their own sort of set of quirky characters from like Satanists to just torturing their friend Josh who works at the quick stop um, <laughs> and you've got like you've just even the small characters like you've got the creepy guys in like the comic book shop who like talking the ways to get flesh off a corpse and stuff <laughs> which happens all the time in real life that's true <laughs> and, it has, um, and it has Steve Buscemi in it so. yeah and it's, is that young uh, young ScarJo in there is, am I, if yeah. I'm a, yeah so I mean it was one of those films I mean Scar Johansson's in it Fora Birch is in it who for my money, is the stronger actress. She should have had more of a career after it, but uh, her father kind of uh, screwing around with her career has uh, really sort of hindered her. Um, I mean, it's up there with American Beauty for like her, her top roles. Yeah. She's kind of just like this, a few bits and pieces. I mean, she was like in Silver City um, as like a little supporting role in there, but it'd be nice to see Fora Birch obviously come back and do more. Because she has a, I mean, that you're right. That resume. I mean, you have American Beauty on your, on your in your resume. You're pretty good. <laughs> it's, it's a good movie to have, especially mm-hmm. when you're not like a bit part. Like Wes Bentley's still eating off of American Beauty. <laughs> Definitely not Ghost Rider. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, American Beauty. We've already like talked about on the at the episode. I mean, that Lindsay Street from the French Toast Sunday podcast, um, and just French Toast Sunday. Come mm-hmm. on, and she was obviously sharing with me a love for that movie and it's just absolutely incredible um another good film obviously alongside ghost world and it's sort of spiritual sequel would be art school confidential mm. um and if you just for the stoner vibe um i would go with just fear and love in las vegas it's which one of those is... rare movies which shows drugs on film and does it well just just be now we're, we're talking about inherent vice and it going a little bit on the psychedelic side and we said, <laughs> I was saying Big Lebowski rise that line. Fear and Love in Las Vegas is, is I think, more like Inherent Vice. <laughs> Where be prepared. If you've never seen Fear and Love in Las Vegas, be prepared for some weird shit. <laughs> if you watch that movie uh, in any type of uh, functionality other than clean sober, you might have a bit of a night terror. Too. Yeah. It's, <laughs> but it's good. Uh... It's a great movie. It's just, whoa, some stuff's going on in that movie. I think the reason I want to obviously pair it with this film is uh, sort of the scene where they're covering the desert race and he's in the Jeep and he's got like 
the mask over his face and there's just dust everywhere and he's like we're friendlies we're journalists and it's like that's such a dude thing to say yeah yeah did you ever see rum diary i didn't i didn't see it i've never heard i don't know anybody had seen it so i'm kind of trying to figure out uh... i I did see rum diary um i didn't enjoy as much as fear and loven um was it kind of shot the same way is it kind of just psychedelic the same way or no no i mean the 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 trailer for Rum Diary obviously set it up as being being Normal. more sort of similar to Finn Love in Las Vegas and anyone who's read the book had realized that it's not. I mean it has its moments and it's obviously nice to see uh Johnny Depp again working with Hunter S. Thompson material because yeah. obviously the two were real life friends. I mean they traded cars for Fear and Love in Las Vegas. Uh Thompson took his Porsche and wrote Fear and Loathing at the taco stand. And uh, the car you see in the movie is Thompson's car. Oh, sh- I mean, I, mean I, see, I saw that documentary where they were like, or uh, maybe it was Conan. Maybe it wasn't the documentary. I think it was Conan, Johnny Depp, and Hunter S. Thompson just at their house shooting things. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, Depp's hair in uh, Fear and Loathing was cut by Thompson. Oh, he, that- in his basement. He, had, he was in his basement. He had like a miner's helmet on. And Johnny Depp was like, I don't want to look. I don't want to look. <laughs> but uh no they had a they had a weird a weird little friendship they some level they uh they really connected them. i mean he used to refer to him as being the the general no oh, yes um and i mean you can read about that in in kingdom of fear i believe one of his last books he talks about their friendship a lot and it, as i said it was just a a weird uh little friendship i mean he's friends with john waters as well which again for mainstream hollywood actors kooky as he's He's kind of is with his role choices. You wouldn't sort of put him and John Waters being sort of best friends, but apparently they are. Yeah, I mean, and now, um, and now he's hanging out more with uh, Kevin Smith to do his uh, Great White North trilogy. I think that's because their daughters are friends. <laughs> <laughs> Harley and uh, I forget Johnny Depp's daughter's name, but yeah, they, I think they're both in that um, Tusk movie together, aren't they? And yeah, that, they're the, in Tusk and they're in uh, something hosers. What's it called? Uh, yoga hosers. Yoga. Ho- I, I forget the something name. Something like that. <laughs> I've yet to see Tusk, so I've, my, I know my, what it's basically about. It's the Human Warrus movie, but uh, my my co-host it. saw it and he liked it. But then I've heard from everyone else it's horrible, so I have no idea. <laughs> so I have yeah. no idea. I, I don't think I can w- work up the the will to watch it yet. But yeah, then again, everyone hated Jersey Girl, and Jersey Girl's great. Oh, see, I haven't seen Jersey Girl. I've heard everybody hated it, so I just said, "Oh, now I have to watch that." So it's, it's sweet. It's not like his other films in this universe. It's very sweet. And you can see why he's made it, obviously, being a father. Um, he sort sort of like reached that point in his life where, obviously, he's settled down, he's married, and he's had a kid, and he wants to obviously make a film which represents that side of his life. So, and obviously, his partner in crime, Jay Muse, at that point, was off in rehab. So mm. it was that sort of wilderness period. And it's, it's a nice film, but again, it's... I suppose it's his Lebowski. Yeah. Do you think the Coen brothers are kind of ashamed of this movie? I don't know if they're ashamed of this movie. I don't think that they're ashamed of it. I think they're more ashamed of uh, the Lady Killers. Oh, what about intolerable cruelty? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you want to talk about Coen brothers films that don't resonate, you know what's funny? We were talking about Coens. What would you say is the Coen brothers film that you like the least? Would it be uh, Lady Killers? Because I'm leaning a lot toward um, what's the, what crap? Oh, the, the the recent one with George Clooney and uh, Brad Pitt, uh, Burn After Reading. I'm not a big fan of Burn After Reading. I mean, I like Burn After Reading. 
out of the ones I've seen, because there's still a few I haven't seen. I haven't seen like Miller's Crossing. Mm. Um, I haven't seen Blood Simple. Yeah, that's good. Um, as the ones I've seen, I mean, I would put Barton Fink as right at the bottom. Oh wow, really? I I I don't get the appeal of Barton Fink. I think it's just it's very depressing. Oh, uh, yeah. to watch. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, and then I would put No Country for Old Men, which. Again, it did nothing for me. The book, did, again, didn't do anything for me. I found the book very depressing. Um, the film didn't seem to sort of go anywhere. I know there's a lot of people who are probably cursing me listening to this, but, you know. Cormac McCarthy fans are going to find you. <laughs> they are. What did you say? I'm not... <laughs> no country for Robert. Anton Chigurh is going to come and pay you a visit. You know what I'm going to say to him? <laughs> Join the queue. <laughs> He's gonna put the, take take your quarter. It's your lucky quarter. Put it in your don't put it in your pocket. Don't put it in your pocket. <laughs> cool. I mean, any final thoughts on Big Lebowski before we wrap this one up? Don't go into it expecting some kind of. Uh, I know it's over super hyped. I mean, if people haven't seen it yet, they all hear it. Oh, so great. It's just fun. It's just one of those sit down on a couch on a Saturday afternoon. And it's on, pop it in and watch. It's great. And again, it's the writing. If you say anything, is great. It's great writing. If you just want to see an example of how to write dialogue scenes, if you're a filmmaker out there, you just want to have a, a regular dialogue that sounds natural while still being kind of <laughs> kind of plot heavy stilted. It, it this, this, none of the dialogue seems like written dialogue. It just seems like people talking. Coen yeah. Brothers films are great for that, and this one's a good example. It may not be their greatest example of that, but it's it's still fun. You're going to laugh. There's no way you get through a Big Lebowski movie without a smile on your face. So watch that movie. So, I mean, obviously, I forgot to ask you entirely. I mean, what's your least favorite uh, Coen Brothers? It's got. I mean, it's probably Intolerable Cruelty. If not that, uh, it's got to be Burn After Reading. I think it's. I'm, I'm a victim of. I, I thought it was going to be something else, mm. and it wasn't. And I was like, oh, because like, you tell me it's like a spy movie with, made by the Coen brothers. I was like, oh, this is going to be freaking awesome. And then I was like, oh, it's um, not that. <laughs> it's not what I wanted it to be. So maybe I'm being a little selfish, so I won't put it at the bottom. Uh, but yeah, I probably put uh, Intolerable Cruelty. I don't know. I still don't understand what the yeah. hell was going on in that movie. <laughs> I, think, I think I'd give it a little leeway because it's got the androgynous fox known as Tilda Swindon. Oh God, Tilda Swinton's awesome. She's wonderful. She's she and she's uh, she's a great actress and a cool lady. If you ever hear any read or listen to any interview from her, she's cool as hell. A- Amy Schumer is like essentially in love with her, but uh, yeah, she's just a cool lady. She's she, she's down for whatever. She will act in a like a Snowpiercer, and then she'll be in like a, a Pride and Prejudice type movie, and then she'll be in Michael freaking Clayton. She's just versatile. T- Tilda yeah. Swinton's awesome. I can't really comment on Snowpiercer because it's not made it over to the UK yet. Oh, really? Dude, oh, yeah. that's like a year and a half ago. You know, we, we, we got Birdman in, what was it, January, I think. Oh, my God. Yeah, so, Snowpiercer, uh, Snowpiercer, her character was written as a man, and she plays it as... Uh, I can't even spoil it for you. It, it's it's another... It's like a, a very... Like a, the Jesus type role because she's not in it as much as you think she's in it, but she's amazing you won't even you'll recognize her but you'll be like what the f- hell was Tilda Swinton on when she got in this role she plays it as a man as a woman as a man that's weird it's, it's but it's great it's Tilda Swinton's no uh, Tilda Swinton should definitely have uh, won the Oscar for we need to talk about Kevin mm. um same as Ryan uh, Ryan 
Ryan Gosling. Is that right? I think I think so. Yeah, um, should have won the won the Oscar for Drive. Oh, Drive is um, you're not going to hear me say anything bad about Drive. And I work with a whole bunch of people at my job that hate Drive, hate it with a passion. I just look at them like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> what is wrong with you? Drive is so awesome. <laughs> Drive is one of those movies where. I've never seen so many people walk out of a movie. Because oh, it's really? not the movie you advertise in the trailer. Oh, yeah. See, that's bad marketing. Because I, I never, and it's good for me because I never saw any marketing for that movie. That movie, somebody gave me a screener. I was like, what is this? And I was like, holy crap, it's like Michael Mann directed this. And I was like, oh, <laughs> Nicholas Winding Refn? Who the hell is this guy? I, I didn't know about Nicholas Winding Refn uh, before that point. And yeah, then I had, yeah, was... it got me into watching the Pusher series and stuff like that because, though I, I'm not a big fan of Only God Forgives. But yeah, yeah. Uh, Drive is awesome. Drive is. Great, Brian Cranston for Christ's sake! Come on, I liked Only God Forgives, but you know, as that's you said, a, yeah, I mean, as we proven with this movie, there's there's people who hate it and there's people who love it. Mm-hmm. Um, as you said, if you're going to watch this movie, try to ignore all the hype, all the fanboys, all the worship that surrounds this movie. Just watch it for what it is. Make up your own sort of indication. You know, as Bill Hicks said, "Buy the ticket, take the ride." Oh, I'm going to tattoo that on my arm. <laughs> Um, obviously, uh, before we uh, finish up tonight's show, uh, what you got coming up uh, in your world there, DJ Valentine? Uh, we just released our 47th episode, and we're reaching our 50th episode. And if you've been paying attention to our show, uh, a, little some, a little mystery is uh, unfolding. Uh, we're doing a little uh, theater of the mind. Uh, so, uh, yeah, 47th episode. Uh, we're going to be, after that, we're still doing our <laughs> Police Academy retrospective. <laughs> we do a bunch of comedies. <laughs> Um, and, uh, yeah, that's about it. Uh, I think I'm going to be on, uh, the lamb soon. I believe I am. Uh, and I did the, uh, superhero movie draft, which uh, hopefully you're voting for me because I have the greatest team ever and uh, for the lamb. And that's about it. Cool. Um, well, thank you again for obviously coming on and, uh, talking about the movies uh, that you selected this evening. It's been an absolute pleasure. Glad I popped my cherry on the uh, show today. Yeah. I, 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 I non- Hopefully we'll get you back uh, soon uh, to look at another couple of movies. I'm at your service, sir. I'm at your service. Um, Thank you again to my uh, co-host this evening, DJ Valentine, from uh, the Simplistic Review. Um, The best place to find you is simplisticreviews.net. Is that correct? That is correct. You can find us uh, on Twitter at at SimpleTweeters. My personal Twitter account is trying to be DJV. And I think our Facebook is, because Matt usually does this because I have a horrible memory, is facebook.com backslash simplistic reviews. You can find us on Facebook. Cool. Um, it leaves me now with uh, nothing else but to say, but uh, I thank you again to my guest this evening, DJ Valentine. Um, and uh, this wraps up another edition of the Mad, Bad, and Downright Strange Showcase. And this is Edward Jones, as always, my new to keep it strange. <laughs>